Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Here is your reward. Wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you want one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're with you. We're going to be in your ear holes. We're going to put the plus in 90 plus minutes because we got a ton of stuff to talk about. And DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Foot Cardigan, Mac Weldon, Fireside, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, is the show all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who hopes these violent delights don't lead to violent ends. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. Uh, up top, uh, this is going to be a jam-packed episode, but there's also bonus content if you're on the RSS or iTunes feed. Um, I talked with um, uh, Infinity Ward's Eric Monicelli about uh, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, and as of right now still, I have an exclusive that we had to get cleared by Activision, and <laughs> we weren't sure if it'd get cleared. It got cleared, so that's at the end of this episode. I'm like, it's, it's a fun chat. Yeah, you should definitely stick around at the end of this episode for that. We've got tons to talk about. It's a massive week, but uh, you kind of skipped over my my Westworld reference. Do you do you watch the Westworld, Christian? I, I do, and unlike you, I did not uh, – I'd never fell off my virtual horse. You you doubted and wavered episodes, what, six, seven, and eight. You were like, this I sucks. <laughs> I didn't say it sucked. I actually did not say that at all. I said I was worried that it felt a little losty to me. But I'm I worried that, this is going to suck. Did you see that finale last night? We're not going to spoil anything. but I'm halfway uh, through. It kind of seems to be saying, hey, if you like video games, um, you're the problem. But I don't know. Uh, anyway, we'll move on. we got a <laughs> massive, massive show. I, I can't even handle how much we got to talk about, so let's waste no time. We do have an awesome guest to do it with, one of my favorite people in games. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and downloadable Christian. But this week, we're excited because DLC, once once again, stands for Dedicated Let's Player and Columnist, because from Polygon.com and from SteamFriends.tv, our friend, friend of the show, Mr. Philip Kohler is here with us. Welcome, Philip! I would just like to say, I would like to start off right away by saying, if you you play video games, you're part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, probably. Well, welcome, welcome, problem children, to uh, the, the show that never ends. Uh, this is 
probably the biggest uh, week of of gaming news, games to talk about all year. I mean, this is going to be a massive jam-packed show. So let us waste no time. Let's get right to it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, which is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit. Really cool folks over at the subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. I don't know how we even do this this week. There's so much news. We had the Game Awards early in the week. We had PlayStation Experience over the weekend. Tons of big announcements and reveals and uh, awards given out. So, Phil, you are our guest. Uh, what is your story of the week, man? I mean, there's got to be no doubt that uh, I think my story of the week, I, I think the story of the week for a lot of people has to be The Last of Us Part Two. Yes, the big uh, reveal trailer that closed out the keynote at PlayStation Experience. Interestingly, uh, Naughty Dog opened the show and closed the show uh, with reveals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and apparently throughout the show with remasters, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and, and apparently the uh, the the Uncharted thing that they opened with, I initially thought was DLC, but I guess it's not. It's like a standalone game or standalone downloadable game maybe like yeah. like dlc plus or something i don't know and i heard it it's, is it's in a the vein of what experience. they did yeah it's in the vein of what they did with last of us where that was released as dlc from in the game but also later purchased standalone and made standalone yeah. disc base i think in europe and they've said this is longer than that but shorter than uncharted 4 but currently still available with the uncharted 4 season pass up until i think december 13th or something like that this feels kind of like what was it, Fallout 4, where they were like, hey, the season sure. pass, you'll get this content. And they were like, oh, crap, this content is huge. Raise the price of the season pass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think that looks, uh, the Uncharted thing looks rad, but The Last of Us Part Two, um, that that first teaser trailer was fantastic. Uh, chills, right? I got I got chills. I mean, it is, it is... So thematically interesting, uh, seeing a character that you spent so much time with uh, in in the first game, being a little older, having gone through everything in that first game. You know, it occurred to me that most companies don't do this. Yeah, Naughty Dog does stuff in the video game world that nobody else really does. I mean, you get a sequel for a Halo, you get a sequel for a, a you know, whatever you, franchise of choice is. Yeah, your main character is, has gone through the stuff in the first game, but it hasn't changed them. It hasn't you ha, you aren't seeing them older and wiser and and uh you know, moving through maturity. This is a different kind of storytelling that they're doing even within a game, but even over multiple games. And I think naming it part 2 rather than just 2 or 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 whatever, I think that is an expression of that also. Yeah, I mean, I I wrote on Twitter that like I I realized the whole part two thing is it's just marketing, but it's marketing that I totally fell for because it just it feels classier and it helps set it apart. It feels different than just a sequel. Um, and I know that I know that uh Neil uh Druckmann, who's the the lead designer on the uh the previous Last of Us as well as part two, 
Um, I know he said something along the lines of like, oh, you know, everybody said it was really, uh, here's the quote, actually, you have it here. It's a, he said the sequel may have seemed like a foregone conclusion. That wasn't the case. Um, which also just feels more like marketing, but they're, they're doing a good job of selling me on the fact that, uh, that this is something they actually wanted to do, that they really have a, a, a story to tell that ties into the first game that really connects it and builds off of what they did there. Yeah, it makes me much more excited. I, I know uh, we have some other uh, opinions from a lot of people on Twitter. We're, we're talking about it, obviously, a lot of people on the various forums. Uh, we even have an email here uh, that has a kind of a, a different opinion. But before we get to that, I know, Christian, Last of Us is your favorite game of all time, right? I mean, on on any given Sunday, it certainly is, right? To steal the expression of an excellent film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy now that my favorite franchise of all time, currently Uncharted, is maybe going to be um, unseated by another Naughty Dog franchise. Because <laughs> now this is, this is officially a franchise. The Last of Us 1 was such a special game for me when it happened and um, kind of, you know, where I was in life. And now for 2 to come out, yeah, the hype train is rolling down the tracks, right? And this is just a little teaser trailer. At the end of it, it says in development for PS4, which I think was a coy way of saying this isn't PS4 footage. Um, this game's likely not going to come out for PS4. <laughs> right. We but, should be very clear that this game is very, very far away um multiple years off uh and i think i think in general most fans of video games are really unaware of how long and how difficult it is to make video games it it takes a very very long time and it seems like these guys you know wanted to announce this game early and, and let everybody know it was being made but it's not coming out next year it's probably not even coming out the year after that this is this is a ways off but what Naughty Dog has done a good job with in the past, and there might be an example of this where it's not correct, but I feel like in recent memory, is that when they announce a game with this kind of teaser, the end game ends up reflecting that tone very well. Like, they're very intelligent about selecting what they want the messaging to be about that game. Even with Uncharted 4, when Amy was still involved, and they showed that early, whatever it was, two, three years ago, E3 trailer, you know, there were stories out of the studio saying, well, this is the tone of the game. You know, this is this is what we said the game's going to be about. And it changed a little bit. And, you know, arguably um, Sam's role changed in that story. But the tone of the game was still this darker, maturing Nathan Drake, you know, getting his butt kicked story. And so from this, The Last of Us Part Two, you know, it's setting the tone of the game of what Ellie has been through and what she's going to do. And, and that seems very exciting. I want to read this. Uh, email. Oh, go ahead, Phil. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, building off of what you said, even going back to the, the first The Last of Us, like the it was the same deal where I think I think they actually announced it at the Game Awards many, many years ago um, and and had a similar teaser trailer like this. Um, and it was years before the game came out. But as you said, they the tone was definitely there, um, if not the exact precise scenes from the the announcement. Mm hmm. Here's an email that we got uh, sent to us to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This was sent by Justin Russell. Uh, he said, um, hey, guys, I have very ambivalent feelings on The Last of Us Part Two. I wish they told a new story from the universe and left Joel and Ellie's story the way it was, crystal in its pristine 
thematic conclusion. How the entire game, supported by its grotesque violence and desperation, heightened by its unwieldy mechanics, inaccurate aiming, real-time crafting, brutal melee, sparse resources, emphasized the theme of physical Darwinian brute self-preservation, only for the dizzying conclusion to flip the theme onto its head, signaling a post-Darwinian emotional self-preservation by Joel and Ellie clinging to their precarious personal narratives, the truth revealed as the stories we desperately cling to in order to meet our own dubious needs. The subjective nature of truth and narrative illustrated in The Last of Us is well served by its ambiguity, not ambiguity for a manufactured cliffhanger ending, but for tangible, nuanced, thematic effect. This ambiguity, I fear, is in a position to be relinquished by the continuation of their story. Anyway, do you guys relate to my ambivalence at all? Were you personally fans of The Last of Us? Where do you see the story going from here? And do you think it can live up to the first game? Hey, uh, Christian, uh, I know you've talked are to you me. hiring? Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we don't hire people who liked The Last of Us. So. Oh, <laughs> mm. that's, the, that's the secret. That's not true. Um yeah, I, I, that was a really, really well written email, um, and, and a really strong argument for The Last of Us. Uh, as anybody who's read my review knows, I'm a little bit more critical of The Last of Us than a lot of people. As am I. Um, and I, I definitely, I like the game a lot, but I also have some, some big issues with it. So for me, going into The Last of Us 2, seeing that really great, uh, initial, uh, trailer, my hope is that, they can build off what they did with the first game, the stuff I liked in the first game, and address some of the problems that I had. Um, I, I definitely see where Justin is coming from, and I definitely hope that they do not give up the ambiguity of the game. I think ambiguity um, in its themes uh, is is one of the huge strengths of The Last of Us. And I think Naughty Dog and, and Neil Druckmann and the people over there are smart enough to recognize that and to not uh, to to make sure that the the sequel continues in that vein, Christian, do you think that um, just reconnecting with these characters, finding out where they are all this time later, and continuing their story steals anything from that ending? Not if it's well told. No, I mean this is a, a different type of toned example. But Star Wars: A New Hope ends really well. You have a nice, complete story of this journey, and you're like, oh, okay, why do we need to keep telling this story? Whatever. They got medals. Why do they, they – they got medals. They're, everything's good. They got well, medals. And they, they blew up the big, huge base. You know what I mean? Like, that is, yeah. that is a final story. Like, if that movie exists on its own, that's a very nice, complete story. Empire Strikes Back is incredible. I'm so glad it exists. The same, you know – uh, argument could be made for hor- hum- Ugh, golly, can't talk too excited by uh, <laughs> Last of Us. There are tons of examples of sequels that are awful, right? So I'm not saying this is guaranteed to be a surefire hit, but I think you can dive back into that world. Um, and there's stories to be told with it. And like uh, Phil said, these, uh, you know, and Naughty Dog, I trust right now. These people are smart enough, I think, to develop a story that pays off and uh, treats these characters with the respect we hope they have. I'm hoping that the way they portray them angers some people. I'm hoping they take chances and they don't just play it safe. And I think that what they showed in the trailer shows they're willing to do that. You know, it's a significant time jump. We're not picking up the story right from the end of The Last of Us. The characters have evolved. They're giving room to play. And I totally think Joel is dead in that uh, trailer, by the way. Oh, crazy. Well, well, we'll find out in 2020. Or whatever it comes out. <laughs> um, I, well, let's talk. I mean, I'm not even going to 
ask you to pick a story of the week yet, Christian, because we already brought up the Uncharted thing. We kind of talked about it a little bit. Is there anything else you want to weigh in on that? I mean, it looks pretty awesome that, you know, I, it's funny. I was sitting in the front row at, at PSX uh, watching the trailer, sitting next to uh, a friend who is a uh, Naughty Dog employee. And when that trailer started, I was like, what? Tomb Raider. Whoa, a new Tomb Raider already. What? Fast for a Tomb Raider. This is a Tomb Raider. And he was like, like chuckling to himself, knowing, knowing what he knew. Um, pretty cool that we're getting this story content that is not just uh, Nate and Sully. Um, I think that looks really, really exciting and interesting. And, and evidently it's going to be pretty weighty, hefty, um, significant amount of single player story stuff. Yeah, I did uh, an entire, not, it's like 15 minute hot take um, on uh, at least 20 more minutes bonus episode that I dropped. We only did 15 the, minutes? At, uh, well, it's a bonus episode. So it's at a, least it's a, 20 though. Right, of the main episodes and the bonus uh, episodes of I which see. I dropped a Game Awards and uh, Lost Journey bonus. It should be called uh, uh, Parsing the Title. Right, yes. I Well, I did. I crossed it out and on the <laughs> album art, I updated it. I get it. I get it, Kanata. Could have um, just stretched five more minutes out of that bad boy? No? Okay. No, anyway. I'm, unlike this show, I don't add sections that aren't needed. Um, oh, you mean like bonus content that we could put off to another episode? <laughs> hey, Phil, how are you doing? Um, <laughs> uh, to me, I, I'm super excited for this. I think the, the most interesting takeaway is what they showed in this trailer is so uncharacteristically un- Un uncharted. Um, there's no exploring. There's no climbing. There was no third person cover combat. There were no quips until maybe at the very end. So I'm curious, you know, can uncharted survive without Nathan Drake and can uncharted survive in a different tone? And uh, I'm excited to see what they do with it. Yeah, for me, that's honestly like the biggest thing uh, that has me excited, excited for the lost legacy is the idea of the future of Uncharted, because because Uncharted 4, to me, so clearly, like, without getting into spoilers or anything, it lo- so clearly ends in such a way that is like, they do not need to and should not tell more story with Nathan Drake. Um, this needs to be the end for that character. So I didn't know if or how Uncharted as a series could go forward, and this is offering, like, a potential path forward of, like, hey, we've also built up this universe of other characters, and we can continue uh, doing stuff with them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm excited for the future, and I'm really excited for that uh, content because it's not, you know, four years away. It's it's coming soon. Uh, Christian, you got a story of the week? Uh, it's Marvel, baby. Oh, my goodness. I yeah, can't... you really uh, called this one last week. I was, I was skeptical, but uh, yeah, big reveal. Yeah, there were enough leaks that I felt comfortable with the rumor, and I didn't know anything in specific. It wasn't me like trying to be coy about a tease, but uh, holy moly. And it looks incredible and so bat expletive insane. I'm going to be so awful at it. When they like, did they do like an ultra into an ultra and then like, oh my God. Oh my God, right? This yeah, is incredible. So Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite is the official title of the fourth Marvel vs. Capcom game. Uh, we got a, a teaser trailer at the keynote, and then we got more uh, actual gameplay footage later on during the Capcom Cup. And um, the biggest change is it looks like, A, no mutants. We don't need those mutants anymore. Marvel's trying to kill off their mutants so that Sony will give them back to them. Um, or no, who owns them? Sony? Uh, Fox. Fox. You're right, Fox. Um, And 2v2 instead of 3v3. So in previous Marvel vs. Capcom games, of course, you pick three characters 
and you rotate them in and out at will, and one of them goes down, the other two kind of keep going. Uh, this time, only two characters instead of three. So interesting uh, new strategies there. But similarly, crazy over the top. Uh, game looks really nice. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one. Also, Infinity Stones, guys. Infinity well, Stones. That's the, that's the thing. It's no mutants, but I feel like they're, you know, there's the business reasons for why they're doing it, but it's also, it looks like they're pulling from a storyline that is also focused in their cinematic universe. So, you know, Marvel is Disney is Disney is Marvel, and they're smart at um, continuing the brand that they have that they can control and that they can sell more things to. So I, I expect this to be a heavily MCU-flavored roster. And does it stink not to have, you know, Wolverine and this series started as X-Men um, way back when as a fighting game? Yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but the, the trailer looked great. The characters look awesome. It still looks over the top. I liked... Um, Marvel versus Tatsunoko, which was two v two and kind of similar um, in craziness. So I, I'm excited. Phil, are you a are you a fighting game guy? So I suck at fighting games, but I really appreciate them. Um, I appreciate them less for the playing of them and more for like watching people who are way better than me. Um, so so I love like Evo and I love I love the uh, Capcom Cup and all of that stuff. Uh, I'm really really excited for new Marvel versus Capcom. Marvel versus Capcom is has always been one of my favorite fighting game series just because it's so much fun to watch um, and because that's that's where I'm coming at it from and also just because I love you know superheroes I love Marvel so I'm I'm looking forward to this uh, I also think alongside of this uh, a big deal that not as many people talked about but that they an- they announced and launched Ultimate Marvel vs Capcom 3 for PS4 at the yeah. same time which is a game that like obviously has a huge fan base uh Capcom had, I think they'd shut down the servers for it. Like that game has not. Either I know that it got or they delisted. Just, I don't know what else happened, but like that Marvel yeah. licensing, that's a that's a nasty yeah, the, beast. <laughs> exactly, the license ran out, and that game had not been had not received any real support for quite some time. So that was, I know, for fans, for like fans of Marvel versus Capcom and fighting games in general, um, that was a big deal. That not only did they announce this new thing, but they said, "Hey, this old thing you love." We're going to give you some support for it again. Yeah, either of you guys download that already? Because I know it's available now. I, I own so many versions of that game. I can't. <laughs> I can't again. Uh, I'm, waiting, I'm actually waiting on the, the PC version. It's coming to PC and Ooh. Xbox in March. So I'm going to wait and get it on PC. Nice. Uh, in the chat here, uh, Major NWS says that the uh, original NeoGAF leaker uh, is saying that the X-Men and Fantastic Four will be added to the game as DLC. So maybe in 2021 after the game comes out in 2020 when Marvel gets the rights back is that <laughs> maybe yeah maybe it does seem like Marvel's trying to kill off those Fox properties so that they can devalue them and then get them back into their stable uh, which you know what I'm all for it at this point <laughs> um, man there's so much other news that I want to hit uh, I think that probably my story of the week is going to be uh, the game awards I the actual awards, um, because it was kind of a shock to me that the winner of the game of the year was Overwatch. Um, I really expected Uncharted 4 to win, and I thought the all of the candidates were really strong this year, a very strong year for game overall. But uh, I was surprised, as much as I think Overwatch deserves it and is certainly taking over the world and is very popular and is a is an objectively excellent game, uh, I was very surprised that a pure multiplayer game would win game of the year. And uh, I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, Phil, do you think 
Overwatch is a worthy game of the year? Uh, yes. Um, I personally, I, I don't know if Overwatch will top my personal list, I guess is what I should say. But I do think it was a, a very excellent game and, and a game that had a huge impact this year. Mm-hmm. Um, just in terms of its success and the, the fan base that it's built up is not like it's not like a fan base for any other game. It is so the fan base for this game is so passionate. So like they, they live and breathe the game in the kind of way that you, you see with stuff like League of Legends or Dota, mm-hmm. um, which which makes me think that this game is not only obviously big this year, but is going to be big for a long time to come. Um, and in that sense, I think it probably deserves a game of the year. Um, I think like looking over the list of candidates, um, I think my choice actually would be Doom. Really? Wow. Um, which which I would not have expected uh, going into this year, but Doom really, really blew me away. I loved Doom. Um, and I just didn't uh, – I just wasn't as into Uncharted 4. I mean, I liked Uncharted 4. I, I just wasn't, like, blown away by it in that game. Oh, I'm of sorry, Phil. Way. I no longer respect your opinions. What were you saying? What, what? <laughs> oh. I mean, I <laughs> – I think Uncharted 4, uh, Uncharted 4 to me just feels like the kind of game that tends to win these awards. You know, it's, sure. it's got everything, right? It's got the, the big AAA, uh, production quality. It's got multiplayer. It's got single player. It It is, it is surprising certainly to see a game win that has no single player mode. Yeah. Um, which I think to some degree maybe just speaks to how good of a job Blizzard has done of building up this world around Overwatch even without a single player mode. Yeah. Um although I'm I'm one of those people who's always whining about how I wish there would be like I want I want to explore this world and these characters. Um so I'm I I wish there was like a campaign Oh mode, me but... too man. I'd be all over well, a campaign in that game. I don't know if it's going to happen but like there, some of the rumors coming out with like recent hirings is maybe a Soldier 76 which is the safest one to do but actual like single player campaign coming. So I mean I think they're aware of the desire for one it's just whether or yeah, not yeah. Yeah, that's Starcraft Blizzard to make one. too. Right. 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 <laughs> um for me the biggest travesty of the awards was was the VR segment I kind of or the VR category. I kind of talked about this. Not the Razor. Well, there were a lot of ads for Schick Razor. There were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of. I mean, the best, best shave. We can all agree on that. Um, <laughs> I, it's just such a Travis. I, I listen. I went nuts for Area X in Res. I, it is transcendent. It, it is one level in a game that's however many years old. One level uh, that is transcendent, but I just don't think it's. VR game of the year and the fact that Call of the Star Seed isn't even nominated and Edge of Nowhere isn't even nominated and you know I could go on and on and on there's so many just incredible VR experiences that could only take place in VR and that were built for VR and weren't just sort of attacked on extra level in a game that's already out that was remade in VR it just it feels anyway that's my personal bugaboo you but, should start a VR award show the Kanadas there you go I like it presented in VR Presented in VR for VR, and both of the viewers will love it. Um, <laughs> Christian, do you have any feedback on the awards show as a whole? Did you watch it? Um, parts. I did not sit and watch the whole thing. I think my big uh, you had some shaving uh, off- to do. I did. I did. Um, uh, I have a yeah, a less than twenty minute hot takeout as this as well. But thinking about it more and trying to crystallize my thoughts and not like knee jerk reaction after sitting through most of it. Um, 
I, I, I really respect what Jeff says, Keeley. I'll just say Keeley, so it's not confusing. What Keeley says he wants to do with this. You never respect what I say. <laughs> of no course one would not. ever confuse that. No. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing the show for too long. Of course not. <laughs> um, and, and I take him at his word for what he says he wants the show to be. But then when I watch it, it always seems to be way more Teen Choice Awards or MTV Movie Awards than what he says he wants it to be. And I understand, you know, maybe the difficulty in production and the reality of making the thing. But I feel like at this point, I think the show just needs to embrace being the Teen Choice Awards of gaming. And I think it would get a lot less flack if it was just, this is what it is. We're bombastic, we're bubblegum, we're commercials, we're trailers. We're going to have some cool exclusives, some cool events. Party, party, party. Dubstep, dubstep, dubstep. Here's a dumb razor. We're out. Instead of trying to present and every year telling us it's going to be this thing that – um you know, it's, a, it's about recognizing the best in gaming and celebrating gaming and doing all of this stuff. And it's like the Oscars. And then it's just it, it's trying to be too big, too much instead of just embracing what it can be. And I know, you know, the L.A. secret of things. The audience didn't seem full when they did like panned. It seemed like very select audience coverage. And I also know that people were offered money to sit in the audience, um, which is a reality of a lot of TV shows. But it just seemed like this weird thing that wasn't as big as it wants it to be and it can't be and it's trying to be something it's not instead of just embracing the thing that it can be. And I think that's what's holding it back as a spectacle. Interesting. The awards themselves I kind of don't care about. (laughs) Well, there's a lot more to talk about uh, in news and specifically in the reveals at that show and at PSX. Uh, I do want to take a second and thank our first sponsor, which is Foot Cardigan. I'm so excited that Foot Cardigan is back. I have Foot Cardigans. I love Foot Cardigans. Uh, these are socks. Socks. Socks, you say? How can socks be cool? Well, let me tell you. Socks are cool. Uh, and socks actually could be a very cool Christmas present or holiday present uh, for the loved ones on your list. Foot Cardigan is a way to make these kinds of socks cool. Let me tell you a little story. I went to a wedding yesterday. A buddy of mine uh, got married and I was putting on my suit, looking sharp, and I wanted to uh, complete it with the details. The details are very important, guys. Socks, people recognize it. I reached for my foot cardigans. I wanted to have something with character, something with style. Foot cardigans are the coolest thing. And you can give people uh, a subscription of foot cardigan. What foot cardigan does is they deliver fun socks to your house. And these are not socks you pick out. You don't even have to worry about it. You just sign up and they are surprises. It's like a cool little surprise socks that are, are, are show up. And they're always stylish. They're always interesting. They're always uh, have character. And these are the kind of things that people notice when you're, you know, you're you're sitting down. You cross your legs, maybe, maybe your uh, pant leg goes up a little bit. Ooh, bam! Look at that cool foot cardigan socks. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's joyous to kind of get something like a like that as a surprise every month. And it's not that expensive. It starts at only nine bucks a month. These are uh, a great gift. Plus. If you use our promo code, which is DLC10, you can get 10% off your purchase. So go to footcardigan.com, F-O-O-T-C-A-R-D-I-G-A-N.com. Use the promo code DLC10, get 10% off your purchase. Maybe give give uh, a friend a Foot Cardigan subscription and you know they'll have cool socks that show up and they'll uh, improve their wardrobe. You can improve your wardrobe. Really, really cool. Footcardigan.com. Promo code DLC10. All right. um, How weird is it that in a week where we got the first gameplay trailer for Mass Effect Andromeda, 
it's not what we're talking about at the top of the show. Um, kind of a huge deal, I think, that we finally saw first gameplay of Mass Effect. That was in, in the Game Awards. But uh, it got overshadowed, I think, by all this Naughty Dog stuff and all these crazy announcements that came later in the week. But I don't want to, you know, go through the whole episode without talking about it. So, Phil, what did you think of the gameplay trailer for Mass Effect Andromeda? Yeah, so, I mean, I, it was cool. I think what you're talking about regarding, like, how surprising it is that we're not all talking about it maybe has something just to do with the fact that it wasn't, like, it wasn't shocking, right? It wasn't surprising. Um, it looks more or less like Mass Effect, Right. Um, it sounds like there's maybe more, uh, more open worldy stuff in this than there have been in previous Mass Effect games, which is cool, but doesn't really come across in a, you know, a gameplay combat focused trailer, but it looks rad. Um, I'm, I'm really, really excited for it. It sounds like they're, I mean, it sounds like they're, they're taking a lot of lessons from Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a game that I loved. Um, and they're also bringing back a lot of the stuff from Mass Effect 2 that I think that game did extremely well. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, as much of a um, new beginning as it is for the, for the franchise uh, narratively, it certainly doesn't seem like a new beginning for any kind of mechanics or gameplay stuff, uh, which is a bit of a bummer from my perspective because I was kind of hoping it would really be fresh and interesting, but you know, all that stuff worked. It's not like it didn't work. Um, but like all the powers that they showed, it's like, Oh yeah, I remember doing that in mass effect. Um, so I think it's going to be the details that really make this one special. And I, I'm sure mass effect fans are going to be really stoked for all those details. But, um, Christian, did you get amped seeing this? So I, I mean, I'm just not a huge mass effect fan, which I feel bad about. I feel like I should be, and I, I could be, but just for whatever reason, it never clicked for me. Um, but this gameplay looked really great it looked dynamic it looked graphically beautiful like i know you said it's kind of the same powers we've seen before but man they looked awesome when uh your protagonist ran into that the 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 big fight against whatever that thing is the big demon monster scaly thing or whatever and it's like lights filling that's up actually the official name for it that's what <laughs> yeah. they call it in the mass effect universe I figured as much, <laughs> uh, but it looked great when the, I don't know if that is that six wheel thing, the Mako, or is that a different vehicle they were driving? Um, it looked cool. The physics handling on that looked fun. It looked to me from some of the very little experience with these games that it looked like they were maybe picking the best from the series, like a little Mass Effect 2, but then leaning heavily onto the combat featured more in Mass Effect 3. And um, I think they're trying to knock it out of the park. So hopefully they deliver, but it looked beautiful. The other trailer I wanted to bring up is the new Death Stranding trailer, which um, I'm getting a little frustrated with this, guys. <laughs> I have to be honest. <laughs> I have to be honest. I want to be, you know, positive and not cynical and, and all that stuff. But I just – I need Hideo Kojima to go away until this game is done or at least yeah. close to done. Because this thing – he, I mean, they literally, like, made a big deal at PSX about him announcing which engine he's going to use. You know, it's like, I'm using the engine from Guerrilla Games – it's like, okay, so you just picked the engine. This game is so far from being anything at all. Why do? Uh, why are you continuing to show up everywhere instead of just go work on it? Um, I, I, I do uh, genuinely have to wonder how much of Kojima's time is being taken up by by working on these 
incredibly intricate, long CG trailers that have nothing to do with what this game actually is. Yes! This game isn't anything yet, and he's spending all his time, like you said, working on these trailers or or traveling around to be a rock star to, to show them off. And it's like, man, come on, buddy. Uh, we're I, really going to spend the next four <laughs> or five years seeing you show up every couple of weeks with a new trailer, with a new, you know, one of your Hollywood buddies that's going to be in it for some bizarre reason? What I, I will say is this, is this, the the tone of that trailer totally pulled me in. I love how how weird and creepy and and absurd it all is and i i want whatever game that's going to turn into um and also i will say that uh seeing jeff keely and and hideo kojima like basically crying at each other was very touching (laughs) i I thought that was sweet they are they love each other they really love each other they are bffs yeah they they have that necklace that breaks in half you know um (laughs) no we love jeff he's great he's been a friend of the show um Jeff is great. I agree. Yes. 100%. Weird that Guillermo del Toro's in it. Like, because I know, hey guys, I know Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it just, it's just, I'm just done seeing anything about this until somebody's playing something, right? Show me something when he's playable. That's it. Am I being crazy, Christian? Are you excited? You're a Metal Gear guy. You love Metal Gear. So are you just eating this up? I like I like Metal Gear. It's it's tough. It's kind of like getting upset at a game that has multiplayer for wasting resources on it instead of, you know, doing more single player. It's kind of that argument like why is he spending time doing this stuff instead of just working on the game? I don't know. I can't answer that. I don't understand the business side of it. I think hopefully we're seeing again, like I talked about for The Last of Us Part 2, we're seeing tone or intent. I mean, I think the idea of this umbilical cord cord world seems interesting and fascinating or like you're connecting to things i think that could be an interesting game mechanic in terms of like refueling or eating or like even making a, a escort mission more interesting if you have to kind of control all these people and you can connect to them and take them over and help them uh, have them help you and stuff like that i think it shows that maybe his work with uh Guillermo del Toro has influenced like a little bit more of a horror slant and you know Kojima certainly has had horrific imagery in some of his games but I think watching um you know everybody cry black tears was certainly like disturbing especially if there's this baby in a jar so I mean I think at the end of the day this is going to be you fighting uh some weird half magical half mysterious uh military force as you take them down um somewhat stealthily in a somewhat open world. <laughs> you think? You think it's just going to be MGS again? I think it is, but I think it's going to be darker and more messed up. And I, I think I'm okay with that. I, I understand your frustration with it, but I also think Kojima's like, I'm free, baby. <laughs> like, I think this like, is the kind of thing that confuses gamers because they see this stuff and they think this game is near. I mean, not. Oh no, it's a totally different game. Yeah. yeah. No, they think it's, it's <laughs> happening soon. And, uh, Anyway, I, I like what I Karumba says here in the chat. He says Metal Gear wasn't centered around being weird. It was a kick-ass stealth action series that just happened to have weird moments. Which uh, Metal Gear are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Force um, says hello. Right. Okay, so I just want to tee up a, a bunch of the other stuff that we're not going to have time to go into in, in, in depth and see if any of them you guys want to hit on. Um, Windjammers, the old Neo Geo classic, is coming back. We got Wipeout. Wipeout remastered. We got Knack Two. Can uh, I just? I, I just. I want to throw in here Knack Two. Why? Jeff I think Knack. I think Knack is is 
better than people give it credit for. It's not great. Hold on. It, it's not uh, terrible. Do you, how do you how do you block Jeff Kanata on Twitter? <laughs> somebody... It's impossible. No one can do it. It doesn't have that functionality. Um Knack, Knack is not good. My nephews loved Knack, and uh, I think it's a very competent game. It's not it's not bad. I can well, point to, be, you at, to be fair, though, I love your nephews, but I also saw them wearing, like, Mountain Dew hats. So I don't well, that's because I got those for free, and I gave them to them. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Where did they get Knack from? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I, don't, I think that it gets a bad rap for some reason, but it's not, it wasn't a bad game. Bad it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I do, I, I'm sure kids love it. Yeah. I mean, it's made for them, right? And it's going to have co-op now, so both nephews can play at the same time. It's made for my nephews. The one thing I will say is, like, yeah, for, for the audience that they're aiming for, adding co-op is a, is a slam dunk. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, are you guys excited about Wipeout? Not as excited as I would have been if it was a new one. Like, I love Wipeout, yeah. but I don't think I need to platinum these again. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand how you make a Wipeout game and you don't have it support PSVR, but that's another discussion. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about? There's a Bulletstorm remaster that we kind of talked about before. Um, Rapper the Rapper remaster. Rapper the and Pata 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 Pong. Um, those are craziness. You're a, you're a, are you a Parappa fan? I'm a huge Parappa fan. I love Parappa the Rapper. Uh, I was really hoping for a new one, but you know what? I'll take it. I'll take a, a remastered version, and I am sure that I will enjoy it. I'm super stoked to introduce my my son to Parappa the Rapper. I'm very <laughs> excited. That's awesome. Uh, Christian, any other any other things you want to do before we move on to the, all the massive amount of games we need to talk about? Uh, just, I think we're good. I think Sony's doing a good job of, uh, keeping old franchises alive with remasters and delivering great new games. Like, it's hard not to be excited about what Sony's doing. And I think Microsoft, I think it may be next year or a year from now, we'll see a Microsoft experience. I think the PlayStation experience has really developed into something special and unique and worthwhile. And they're preparing themselves for a post E3 world. Well, I'll certainly be talking about it a lot uh, over the next uh, in the next segment because I was there and I played pretty much everything. Or next two segments, I should say. Um, so yeah, let's let's move on now and uh, let me just thank another sponsor while we're while we're at it. Uh, Mac Weldon, guys, Mac Weldon. You've heard me talk about Mac Weldon talking about clothes. You need your basics. You need your underpants. Uh, you need your your hoodies. You need your sweatpants. Uh, right now, I'm wearing only Mac Weldon clothes. Uh, I'm wearing uh, Mac Weldon uh, um, boxers, and I'm wearing Mac Weldon uh, sweatpants. That's what I'm doing. I'm sitting here in my Mac Weldons because they're comfortable and they're not going to stink. Uh, they're antimicrobial. Uh, these are these are high quality. They they ship them right to your door. This is better than whatever you're wearing right now. I guarantee it. Uh, and I honestly really really dig all my Mac Weldon stuff. We're gonna hook you up. All you got to do is use our promo code DLC when you go to MacWeldon.com, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. You get 20% off when you use our promo code DLC, and uh, you'll be comfortable. You'll upgrade your wardrobe. You'll feel good. You won't stink. Uh, these are these are the kind of undergarments you want to have closest to your body. So go to MacWeldon.com. Get your 20% off by using our promo code DLC. Feel better about yourself. Smell better. And, uh, and just, you know have a better life. It's really about having a better life. All right. Let's go on to the playlist. Ooh, Oh 
my gosh, so much to talk about. Let's start with The Last Guardian. Uh, Phil, you published your review this morning on Polygon.com. I have also finished The Last Guardian. Um, let's 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 dig in. Last Guardian, we've been waiting nine years to play this one. Can I step Wait. away for a minute and have you text me when you're done just because I know I'm going to play it and I don't need like, it doesn't control well to spoil my uh, opinion? Sure. Perfect. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, it didn't control well, right? It <laughs> <No>. really didn't. <laughs> uh, that is really the truth. Um, I, this is my my sort of one sentence review is: I've never loved a game uh, that controlled terribly and had an even worse camera as much as I loved this game. <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, you know, all of the the cracks about how it's you know a PS2 game dressed up as a PS4 game are basically true. Yeah, uh, in a lot of senses. Although, um, and I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, but there are some incredible set piece moments that are very much like, "Oh, this is why this needed to be on PS4. This is why it couldn't have happened on PS2 or even PS3." Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just just all them feathers, all them feathers fluttering constantly. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, that's real pretty. It's it's a it's a really difficult game. Um, my my reviews up at Polygon, I gave it a seven point five. Um, which is not a bad score on Polygon. It's it's good, but um, I, yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff I really loved. There were moments when I was just totally head over heels in love with this game, and then a lot of frustrations. Um, yeah, the biggest source of my frustration actually wasn't even the controls of of the main character, although that's certainly frustrating. But but the uh, the creature itself, um, mm-hmm. Trico, who you uh you know this giant bird. Uh, cat hybrid um and as the game progresses you have to give orders to it and it uh it often will just completely ignore your orders for for a while yeah i didn't know if that's a bad game or a brilliant game you know i mean it's 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 a purposeful choice i think as best i could tell i saw some people who read the review speculating that it was a bug and i'm like i don't think this is a bug i think you, this you're is- never quite aware of it when you're playing you're like is it is the am i not communicating to the game or is it just showing me how animals are finicky yeah. and the, aloof the the problem that i had with it from a game design standpoint is is not even necessarily the the annoyance of having to wait for him to wait for trico to respond the problem that i had is it's a puzzle game at, at heart and there will be points in the game where, you know, I'm like, I think I know what the solution is. I think I need Trico to do this. But right. then I would give it the command and it wouldn't react. And I wouldn't know if that's because I was wrong about what I needed Trico to do. And actually I needed to do something else. Right. Or if Trico just wasn't going to react yet. So it it it's like this added layer of frustration because I'm not sure if I'm at fault or if I'm just supposed to be waiting Right. Uh, for Trico to actually react or what the, the actual solution is. A hundred percent. I think you hit the nail on the head that there are games like N Plus or Super Meat Boy or Shovel Knight or something where when you figure out what you're supposed to do, it also takes this dexterity skill level to accomplish it. But this is not one of those games. This is a game where the challenge is figuring out what to do intellectually you know uh, experimenting enough and and coming to a conclusion of how to get past this puzzle how to move forward once i have successfully come to the conclusion uh, to, to the solution i should be able to accomplish that right i if i have figured it out there should be no challenge in making the game do it 
But in this game, over and over and over again, there is. And as you said, you start to doubt whether you came to the right conclusion. And it just lengthens your frustration because you start trying all these other things that aren't right until you finally circle back around to the thing that you were supposed to do in the first place. Or, or in some cases I would straight up just like set the controller down, turn around to do something else, like turn to my computer and, you know, check Twitter and then turn back and inexplicably, like I hadn't paused the game and inexplicably Trico was in the right spot that I had been wanting to get in for the whole time. And I'm like, why? Yeah. So like, it, it almost felt like there was just straight up a timer that the game is like, in order to like, make it seem like a real cat, we're not going to have it do what you want for X amount of time. And then it will just do it. Yeah. And, and, and for a game that's constantly showing me a little diagram of a controller when I don't need it to tell me that, <laughs> yes. there are a lot of commands that it just never told me I could do, uh, which is yeah. weird. Um, and yeah, there's this whole set of like commands because there's a button to yell at Trico. And then if you hold that button down and then press one of the face buttons on the controller, it does this whole set of other commands. Right. And the game never makes it explicit what those commands are. You just kind of have to put it together. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's going to save the listeners to the show hours of your life just knowing that you can do that because it only ever tells you that you can tell them a direction to go. And so I, <laughs> there's a very specific sequence that I thought I was just done. I thought I would, the game broke because I couldn't get him to do anything. And it was just literally a button combination that it had never told me was possible before. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, but having said all that, I think everyone should play this game. It is the, the story beats and the, the places that you get to go and the things you get to do. And some of the set pieces and some of the puzzles are so wonderful and just so unlike anything else in video gaming. I mean, the only thing it's like is Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, right? He's making games that are very unique and have such a strong voice. And it's it's such a a journey of discovery that I treasure. I treasured the moments in this game. It's one of those games where, so there's a lot of times as a reviewer, like Final Fantasy XV, which I think we're going to talk about, is a game that I gave it a nine and it's a game where I absolutely adored it, but I can also see some of the flaws that I think people will hate it for. This is sort of the inverse of that, where I had a lot of problems with uh, with The Last Guardian, but I can also see that there are going to be people who play this game and just 100% it is their favorite game of the year, favorite game of, of many years. Yeah. Um, they're going to be people who adore it. So I think, you know, if you if you think you can forgive some of these issues, it's definitely worth still checking out. And, you know, <laughs> it's if this game had come out, I think, when it was announced, you know, within a year of when it was announced, it I think it would be his masterpiece. I think people would look back on it and feel like, he, sure. yes, he when it was announced, it was like, oh, it's Eco and Shadow of Colossus in one game. And it really does feel that way. And it really is the perfect, like, third game in that trilogy. It just completely ignores the last nine years of game development that we've all come to expect. Like, just the the amount of platforming and jumping around and climbing on stuff in this game, where, you know, you have a game like Uncharted that has perfected that. We figured out how to do it. You know, Tomb Raider and Uncharted. If if a game doesn't feel like that, it's going to feel old-fashioned and broken. And... Oftentimes, because this game relies so much on physics and imprecise sort of just roll the dice and see what happens, 
I'm doing things and they're just wrong or I'm missing a jump or I'm, and it's not really my fault. It's just sort of like, well, that's part of the process. That's part of how the game works. Instead of acknowledging the last nine years of game development where we sort of, you know, got past all that. And I think the same is true for the camera. The camera is atrocious in this game. Yeah, you are so bad. often stuck in these t- small confines with this massive creature, and the camera is is jostled and, and it doesn't know where to go. And you're inside the creature for a little bit or whatever. It's like it's it's so bad. And I honestly sometimes it just like sometimes it just like straight up just turns pitch black. Yes, like you often. can't see anything. Yeah, uh, a couple of times I got to see like inside Trico in a way that was very alarming and, and disturbing. <laughs> yeah. And and all of these are valid complaints that gave me many frustrations. And I got to say, one of the things I like most about reviewing a game before it's out is I was never able to go to a fac. I was never, I was forced to just sort of sit there and figure things out. And there were a couple of times where I, you know, I sent messages to you and others saying like, what? Yeah. But for the most part, like, the joy of discovery in this game is really palpable. I think the solutions to a lot of the puzzles are very clever and and really make you feel like a, you know, like Portal, where it's like, oh, my God, there's literally nothing I can do. Oh, my God, I'm a genius. Um, it, all of that is so great. And the story beats, I mean, it completely fulfills that promise of making you invest in this character and feel like it's a real living thing with a with a brain and a, and purpose. It it accomplishes so many of the things it sets out to do that it is a truly extraordinary experience marred by really archaic controls. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Uh, I also want to say real quick, and I know people are probably sick of hearing me say this. I think if this game was in VR, a, all of its problems would be magically gone because all of a sudden you don't have a camera problem. You don't have control problems. Like if I could just reach out and grab Trico instead of like figuring out how I can – the game can automatically grab him or whatever. All of – this game would be so much better I think in VR. It's it's about scale, which is what VR does better than anything else. It's about like discovery. It's about slow stillness. It's about moments of just sort of being in one place and not going fast and not twitchy. All of the things that this game does really, really well work great in VR, and all the things that make it frustrating, I think, would be better if you were in first person in VR. But that's just my, my own little axe to grind. I don't know anything about VR. I've only played. <laughs> I've only played with with VR a very limited number of times, so I'm in a bad position to argue one way or another. I don't right, think. So- I don't. I will say I don't think all the game's problems would be solved, but I. I do think that this game in VR could be really, really cool. Magical. I think I, – I, anyway, I, I think you and I both agree that it's a game worth playing, even for all its faults. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. It's worth checking out. Um, like I said, if if you think that you can forgive these faults even a little bit, it's worth giving it a shot. All right. I'm going to text Christian and get him back. But let's move on to uh, Final Fantasy XV. Because- oh, wait. What? I'm going to leave again. No, <laughs> I like literally just put on my head. <laughs> now I'm excited. So to interject, not listening to what you guys said, but I think it's crazy that this week we're talking about Final Fantasy 15 and The Last Guardian. And the fact yep. that those games are out and playable isn't anywhere near a story of the week. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, I, I moved on from reviewing Final Fantasy 15 directly into reviewing The Last Guardian. And I'm like, this is nonsense. This is like, a uh, college age Phil 
when both of these games were announced, if I told him that, hey, they're just coming out 10 years from now and you're reviewing both of them would be like, you're lying. Yeah, so yeah. Did you take your significant other to a Freddie Prince Jr. movie afterward? Like, what are- <laughs> <laughs> And also, also the same week, like mainstream virtual reality controllers are being, you know, yeah. it's like what a weird mashup of insanity, um, which we'll get to, by the way. But uh, Final Fantasy 15, this is. I'm very excited to play this this week. I'm really, really excited about it. I booted it up for like two minutes and I, I went to a mechanic and that mechanic was like this, this insane, uh, porn star, I guess that walked out to me. I was like, okay, that's what this game is. I'm going to go play last guardian now. Um, but I'm very encouraged by your review, Phil, because you love this. Yeah, I really, really did. I was pleasantly surprised. I guess I would say, um, I feel like they there are a lot of weird things in this game and you can see like you can really see as you're playing it that this is a game that took 10 years for them to make. You can see points where it's like, oh, this is this is must be like a weird phase where they were trying something different or this is something <laughs> that's left over from 8 years ago. Um, I think that's not the case with Last Guardian. Last Guardian, I went like, "What? What took them so long to make this?" But anyway, oh, one, yeah, one hundred percent, I agree. But it, with this, it's it's very much you can see the age uh, in a lot of spots, and uh, but despite that, they have managed to build something that has just a lot of heart, and uh, you can tell that a lot of love went into it, and that um, they they've managed to build these characters that feel so extremely fleshed out um, and so interesting and, and lovable. Um, yeah. I just really, really, really enjoyed the game a lot. So it's sprawling. It's vast. It's got these kind of interesting character moments. The combat system you like? The combat system is weird. Um, I, I did grow to like it. I think it takes some getting used to because I think what they're trying to go for is it's more actiony than any Final Fantasy has ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's real time. It it looks like an action game if you're just watching it. Um, but they still clearly wanted to make it approachable for RPG players who are not into action games. Um, and what that means is that the the core of the combat is just holding down a button. Um, yeah. And that, that lets you auto-attack. And then you modify your auto-attacks from there. Um at first, it seems very like you have no control and that there's no depth to it. But the more that you play, the more that you figure out um, the ways that you can modify your attacks, the ways you can string them together into really, really long, really interesting combos. Um, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of quirks and a lot of like sort of hidden depth to it that I ended up really appreciating the further in that I went. It's so interesting to me that you know when these two games were announced. We were still in the era when Japanese games were were really the the top of the heap. You know, the West was yep. ascending, but uh, and here we are. You know, nine ten years later, not the case anymore. And yet, these two really deeply Japanese projects. I mean, not just da- Japanese in the f- fact that they're made by Japanese companies, but <laughs> like literally, they're Japanese. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that, no. I, I mean, the people that made them are Japanese, but also they sort of are of a, an aesthetic. That that doesn't really happen in the West very much. Yep. Um, I, I'm bringing that up because I think it's it's worth commenting. Uh, where do these fit? I mean, specifically, Final Fantasy 15. Where does it fit 
in i mean it, evidently it's selling great right they say it's the fastest yeah, it's selling they, they one. said it's yeah it's the fastest selling in franchise history they said it's between digital and physical shipments um it's 5 million units in the first week so it's, it's just is, fastest selling in Final Fantasy 15 franchise history. Like, how are they parsing out franchises in, fi- here? in Final <laughs> Fantasy history? Oh, okay. <laughs> the whole series. Like in Final Fantasy 15, it sold way more than 15.2 version three HD. Unless just Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> they do that with. <laughs> so, do you think Phil, having you know played through the whole game, do you think it's we're going to see a resurgence in in these kinds of games, or is it more of a hybrid kind of uh, acquiescing a little to the West? Man, I, I hope we see a resurgence. I mean, Japanese games have always been my favorite. Japanese RPGs in particular have always been my favorite. And obviously, the last uh, generation and a half, let's say, has not been kind to JRPGs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm very, much, uh, very much hopeful that this will lead to more. At, at the very least, I hope that it's a sign for Square Enix to to continue uh and to really push Japanese RPGs again. Um they've been moving in that direction with a couple of other uh products as well, so I'm I'm hoping so. But uh yeah, I mean fingers crossed fingers crossed that that this helps um lead to more JRPGs and also that that whatever Square Enix does next for Final Fantasy doesn't take ten years. Right. Right. I'm I mean I'm still like, hoping for a tactics at some point, but who knows. Yeah, um, new tactics would be great. Unrelated to Square Enix, we didn't even mention Nino Kuni two. Uh, I know. In terms of like the research, the continue they're not resurging, whatever. But that was a, another like JRPGs are back, baby. When that game came out, and to see them bringing that other game over here and making another one, that's exciting. Very much, very much. Um, speaking of of Japanese role playing games, and we'll be talking more about Final Fantasy fifteen because I'm going to be digging into it this week. Uh, we'll be talking about it in the future, but I, I want to hear about Tokyo Mirage Sessions because seeing you tweet about it. Has yeah. me really intrigued. You keep going yeah. on about this combat system. That sounds fascinating. So I, uh, I've been spending as I as I tend to do in like late November, early December. I've been going back to uh, things that came out earlier in the year that I didn't get a chance to play, just to try out before we do our game of the year discussions at Polygon. And one of the games on my list that I had never got the chance to try out, but really wanted to, was a uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions, which is a Japanese RPG that Atlas put out. Um, this was their project that was supposed to be a cross between Persona and Fire Emblem. Mm. Um, so they did it with Nintendo. Um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions is fantastic. Wow. If you have any any tolerance for hyper-Japanese uh, nonsense, <laughs> you need to play Tokyo Mirage Sessions. It is, it is wonderful. This is um, a Wii U feels- exclusive, right? It is a Wii U exclusive, which makes playing it less easy. But... Uh, <laughs> But it is, uh, it, it feels very much like a, a Persona game. So if you like the Persona games, um, it's in that, uh, in that vein, absolutely. Um, you play as like your party is a, a group of, um, Japanese teenagers and you basically find out that all of the, uh, the pop singers that you're fans of, um, are actually secretly like superheroes who are fighting against, this like shadow world that tries to uh, abduct pop singers and steal their soul. I don't know. It's really weird, but it's fantastic. Um, and and yeah, the the combat system is very, it's very traditional like turn based JRPG, but it's got these awesome like if you attack an enemy with their weakness, 
um, it will chain hits from your uh, from your party members. So there's this really interesting level of strategy beyond just um, you know figuring out what's the best attack to use. So fascinating to me. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's this Wii U game that now I'm like, I want to play this. It sounds really cool. Yeah, I think it got really overlooked this summer, um, partially because it's a Wii U exclusive, right? Um, and partially, partially because it's this weird hyper niche, you know, Japanese game. But I do think it has like just a, it's just a ton of style. Um, it's it's so weird and so different from anything else that's out there that uh, I hope people will check it out. My I'm actually hoping you know with the Switch coming out next year. Um, Atlas, you know, has a tendency to take their games and a year or two after they've come out, release like an updated version, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes on different platforms. So I'm hoping what'll happen is that they'll release a switch version of this that maybe has some new content or something, and that'll get more people into it. Fingers crossed. Again, that's called Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Um, yeah. And if you're, if you're waiting for Persona 5, especially if you're like a Persona fan, you're excited about Persona 5, you're bummed that it got delayed again. Um, this is a great, great holdover for that. Cool. Christian, you, uh, you gave a little time to the Mad Max that you bought on, on crazy Black Friday sale. I did. And I mean, I had touched this, just touched it before. And so I'll be brief with myself. I know you have new exciting stuff. Um, Mad Max to me is, it's a very good game. I think I texted you this. The only problem is it's the worst version of it that Warner Brothers has put out, which I just don't quite understand how it's the same big brother studio does Batman and um, Shadows of Mordor. And then they come out with Mad Max, which is essentially the same game, but the worst version of it. And the controls are different and weird. Like had Shadows of Mordor and Arkham Knight not existed, Mad Max, I think, would be looked upon more favorably. But as it is, it's like, this is fine. And so, you know, I think I paid six bucks for it. It's fine. It's beautiful. It's cool to be in that world. But, you know, whatever. I think it probably got the scores it deserves. That said, if you want more of those other games, it's interesting and and fun to play. I think the most interesting thing that Warner Brothers is doing is they have these huge film franchises and they release these big games for them that are never movie tie-ins which i think is really cool that we see this expanded universe you're not just playing you know fellowship of the rings it's shadow of mordor you're not playing um batman v superman it's arkham knight you're not playing mad max Fury road it's just his own thing and i think that's interesting um i know you love the game it's it's worth checking out but it doesn't it hasn't blown me away you know whatever i am 10 hours in something like that yeah i'm much higher on it than you i, I think it's really underrated but um, which is weird because you do not like shadows of mordor or arkham knight which are vastly superior games <laughs> that's a good point that's very odd i wonder if it's the just the ip is more interesting to me i don't know yeah um so i spent a lot of time at uh playstation experience this weekend thanks to everybody that came up and said hi by the way lots of people there uh stopped me and and said hi that they listened to the show i really appreciate that anytime you see me please don't don't uh, ignore me. Just, you know, say say hi. I, I love it. Um, so many games that I played there. I'm only going to highlight a few of the interesting, most interesting stuff. Um, I got a chance to play the new Housemark game, uh, Next Machina, that they just announced. It's a twin-stick shooter because that's what Housemark makes. And uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, there's only so much you can do with a twin-stick shooter. It plays like a twin-stick shooter. You shoot stuff, they all run at you. It's ins- insane, you know, crazy, all-the-time all action uh, insanity, you know, smash TV times a thousand. But because they use this crazy voxel engine, everything is 
vibrant and bright and things are blowing up into tiny little bits of themselves. And it's just perfect. It's just perfectly tuned. The controls feel so tight and the challenge feels just right. It, it's going to be a game I play a lot of. Um, next Machina coming out in 2017. A couple of other fun things. One of the cool stuff, uh, coolest uh, things that they do at at PlayStation Experiences, they have a lot of indie games. They have a lot of uh, smaller booths with, um, with you know, independent developers and just, you know, kids, basically, that are making games. One of the games that I stumbled upon I had never heard of, and it delighted me. <laughs> it's called Just Shapes and Beats. Just Shapes and Beats. And it is... It's all a, there in the title. It's all there in the title. You know, it, it involves a lot of shapes and a lot of beats. Um, yeah, it, it's... You know those music videos that are kind of just uh, like two-dimensional uh, typeface that are all kind of like moving around, you know, in in rhythm to the beat? Uh, I think like a Weird Al song, they did one of them, uh, the, the one um, um, words about words. Anyway, it's like being inside one of those. So you're, it's like it's all two-dimensional. It's just shapes. And you're a tiny little shape, and you can play with up to three other friends. Uh, I play local co-op, which I think this game is just made for. Um, and you're trying to survive inside this insanity that is this uh, this music video. You're playing along to a beat, and there's, like, pink shapes that are shooting around you. And if you touch any of them, you die. Well, not really. You lose health until you die. Uh, but it's it's like bullet hell, you know, on crack, and there are large sections of the screen that you're not going to be able to go to, but you have, if you push a button, you have a uh, a burst that makes you invulnerable for a very short period of time. So it's all about moving around, avoiding all the bullet hell happening, and bursting at the right time so that you can get from place to place without dying. And if a, if a friend, if a co-op partner it dies, they become sort of a Super Mario, you know, 2D Super Mario bubble that you can go and tap and bring them back to life. So, which happens a lot because the game is nuts and crazy hard, but it's all kind of cool beats. It, this game is a phenomenal experience with a group of people. I mean, it, it demos really well at a show because it's four people all playing. Everybody's cheering. It's crazy difficult. Uh, and you're saving each other at the last second. Really, really cool. Just shapes and beats. Um, I also played Vane, which is really wild. You, you play as a bird flying around. It's very Journey-esque. I think we need to come up with a, a name for that genre of games that are like Journey and Flower and Brilliant. Flow. Brilliant, okay. Uh, but, you know, experience games, I don't know what you want to call them. Very good. Yeah. I hope Vane is very good. It certainly looked interesting and has a really interesting art style. What I played of it wasn't particularly compelling, but I think it's very early. Um, and just aesthetically, it's already pretty interesting. So, uh, lots more stuff I played at PSX. Um, but let's move on because, uh, I want to, I want to get to the VR stuff I played at PSX because that's really the most exciting. I know you guys, uh, might not have as much to contribute in this segment, but. If you'll indulge me, we'll do a little bit of VR talk. But first, I do want to thank another sponsor, uh, Fireside. Fireside 
is a podcast hosting and analytics platform created by podcasters for podcasters. It was actually created by the founder of this network, the 5x5 network, Dan Benjamin. He took everything he learned um, from doing podcasts since 2009 and turned it into a platform for podcasters, anywhere, any level of expertise. So if you're thinking about making a podcast, uh, really, you should check out Fireside. Fireside has it all. Unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a, a super fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support so you can do multiple shows, free one-click podcast importing from platforms like Libsyn, Feedpressed, and Simplecast, custom domain mapping, a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host, and guest pages, and tons of advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, and a bookmarklet, bookmarklet, for links, you know, bookmarklets, uh, auto-posting for future S episodes, uh, time code linking, so much more. And you can try Fireside for free for seven days. If you're a podcaster or you're thinking about becoming a podcaster, check it out. You'll be able to import your existing podcast for free for those seven days while taking advantage of every feature that Fireside has to offer. It's an, it's an awesome offer. And the unlimited plan starts at just 19 bucks a month. There's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. Check it out today, fireside.fm, F-I-R-E-S-I-D-E.fm today. Check it out. Pretty cool stuff. I played all the VR guys. Oh God. I played it all. I played all of it. Um, Oculus touch I've had for a while and we're finally able to talk about it now. I'm going to be talking about that over the next few weeks um, because there's so much PlayStation experience VR to talk about in this segment. Uh, But Suffice it to say, Oculus Touch is the best controller for VR currently available, period. Um, it is a bummer that it does not have 360 tracking like the uh, like the Vive has out of the box. You you have to buy a third uh, camera, uh, which is $70, plus the $200 for Touch, plus the $600 for uh, Oculus, in, in, you know, the headset. So that's a big bummer um, because occlusion is a thing. Occlusion is what happens when you turn all the way around and your body blocks the sensor from seeing your hands. So the game forgets where your hands are. So if you want to turn around and see something behind you and touch it, the game doesn't know how to do that unless you put another camera behind you to show you, to show it where you are. Uh, Vive, of course, is built to give you room scale and turn you around. And it's just better if you want to do room scale. But... The Vive controllers pale in comparison to the Oculus Touch controllers, which are really state-of-the-art and really make you feel that hand presence in a, in a really tactile way. The sensors that allow you to lift your index finger or your thumb off of the controller, and it knows, so you can give a thumbs up by actually putting your thumb up rather than pushing a button to give a thumbs up or pointing your index finger at something, and actually it knows that you're pointing your index finger that's transcendent. It's amazing. The, the hand tracking is extraordinary. The fact that, um, you know, nine times out of 10, when I start PSVR with the move controllers, or I start Vive with my Vive controllers, I have the wrong controller in the wrong hand because they're identical. So I have to swap them. That will never happen with Oculus Touch because they're contoured to the correct hand. Uh, that is brilliant. Uh, having the sticks, having everything just, it just feels right. It's perfect. 
And the software lineup at launch is absolutely incredible. I'm just going to talk about a couple of them because we'll talk about more in the coming weeks. But um, the the Robo Recall demo, guys, <laughs> is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, you are um, fighting robots on a city street. It looks great. It's an Unreal game. It's made from Epic. Epic turned their uh, their bullet time demo, bullet train, I guess it was called, into this. And you're destroying robots, but you're doing it with flair. You're catching bullets out of the air with your hand and throwing them back at a at a robot. You are uh, shooting robots and juggling them in the air like Devil May Cry style. You are grabbing robots by the arm and ripping their ro- their arm off and beating them over the head with it. You are throwing things around. You eventually control a giant mech at the end. Very brief experience, but it is so fun and could only be possible with this technology. It's amazing. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about is super hot because every, I'm assuming both of you guys have played super hot, super hot, uh, in its uh, current form. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you liked it, right? Yes. This is how it was supposed to be played in VR is how (laughs) it was supposed to be played because you are physically doing everything. Uh, and the game just like in the original, uh, only moves forward. Time only moves forward when you move. But when you move means turning your head, moving your hands. So you are much more clear about how you're moving rather than just moving a mouse or, you know, changing, you know, changing your your view on your 2D, stupid 2D monitor. You're literally moving your head or, as I like to do, doing a little dance to move time forward because it's like, hey, yeah, that guy's coming toward me. I'm going to punch him in the face and I'm going to just kind of move my hands in a circle as he gets closer to me and bam, there he goes. Grabbing stuff out of the air, throwing things. It's how Super Hot was supposed to be played. It's it's brilliant. How does it handle locomotion? Uh, teleportation. Teleportation. So how does time manipulate it for how far you walk? Um, actually, you know, most of it is, uh, standing in one spot, moving your hands around, but, uh, you do go from place to place by teleporting and it moves time forward. You know, maybe I didn't play super far into it on, in VR. So maybe I'm, I'm saying this wrong because it's, it occurs to me that I think all the levels that I played, I was standing in one spot. That's interesting. I, I mean, I've tried to read up on it. I feel like there isn't tons of info. I wasn't sure, like, is this a new game? Because, like, OG Super Hot, you're definitely walking and, like, evading yeah. it was a big strategy I used later in that game where it was, like, one step left. Two steps, I die to the bullet to my right. But, right. like, one step, I get it, and they matrix past me, and then bang, bang. But now you're not just moving. I mean, you're not just, like, taking a step to the left into the, to the, the uh, path of the bullet. You can move your head. You can dodge the bullet with your head. You know what I mean? You're, you have much more control over where your body is in relation to where the enemy's death bullets are coming to you, you know? Uh, super awesome. Um, and now I want to talk about some of the stuff I played at PlayStation experience on PlayStation VR. Let's start with star Wars. Um, because star Wars comes out, I think tomorrow, um, for people to to download, uh, if you already own Battlefront, this is the uh, Rogue One X Wing experience that is in VR, and it's awesome. The first thing that happens when you load up the game in VR is uh, it shows you a loading screen, and then a an ATAT, an AT-AT, comes walking through in its gigantic glory, and you stare up at it, 
and it's massive and you know the size of an ad at and uh it's glorious and it's like oh okay i see why star wars should always be in vr because now i'm in star wars and then you get to walk around your x-wing that's parked in a hangar and check it all out in 3d and then you get inside your x-wing and there's a control panel everywhere there's a r2 unit behind you you can check everything out and touch flip switches um it's awesome. And you have to get into formation, fly, uh, you know, into a battle with a bunch of TIE fighters and you're shooting and looking all around. I mean, it's Eve Valkyrie, but with a Star Wars license and it works great. They kind of cheat a little bit and they have you uh, able to lock on with your laser blasts, which I don't think is canon, but uh, these cannons are actually more effective and it kind of alleviates a lot of that. I got him. I got him. Oh, I missed him. Uh, if you're able to lock on, you're sort of able to kill more TIE fighters that way. And it's it's amazing. It It's amazing. Perfect. Uh, How exactly long what, is it? Well, I only played a demo. So I didn't play the full experience that is downloadable tomorrow. Um, the demo was relatively short, but still really, really cool. And I think this is free if you already own Battlefront. So there's no reason not to, not to do it if you already own that game. Um, I also played uh, Resident Evil 7. In, in VR, I know a lot of people at E3. I never tried it at E3 because everybody said it's a puke machine. And I'm also a little ninny. I'm a bit of a ninny when it comes to... Uh, uh, I've always said that about you. Yeah. No, I know you have. You were accurate. You were right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's terrifying, <laughs> especially in VR. But I think it's the way this game needs to be played. I mean, if you really want the experience of being scared in Resident Evil 7, having the it all around you is pretty terrifying and the game you know it's all first person the game asks you to open that creepy door and walk through it and when you're doing it in vr it's pretty intense and i don't know if i've just developed vr legs a lot of people were saying maybe you just are better at it but i did not get nauseated for this i don't know if they've improved with the new demo if they've improved the experience or if i'm just a little bit better at handling that kind of stuff now but I kept the um, smooth movement toggled. Uh, they also allow you to have sort of like a, you know, when you turn your, your when you push on the stick, it'll like do that clock, you know, 30 degree shift instead of uh, smooth movement. I kept smooth movement on and it didn't really bother me. So um, this, it was extraordinarily intense. I squealed several times like a tiny baby. And uh, I don't know if I'll be able to play it, to be honest with you. It's, it's hard to do in vr because when the creepy person walks by your view it's you feel like he's right there it's uh very intense the game that did make me nauseated uh was gran turismo because they had it set up with one of those chairs that moves the the like really high-end you know multi-thousand dollar gaming chair that has a steering wheel and like gives you a sense of movement when it when you go around a corner and in VR, I was like, I can't, I, I was in that for about a minute and a half and I was like, no, I'm going to puke. It's too much. But I don't think most people will be playing it in one of those chairs. So well, I think you know. those chairs should alleviate the problem though. Cause to me, the problem with like a uh, dirt rally VR and even drive club in VR is that you're not in that chair. So your, your head is like, you know, we're pressed against a corner, but y- your body's like, no, we're not. And then you throw up. Yeah. I can only tell you that that didn't work. <laughs> Either the chair was not uh close enough to what i really expect or my body really expects or 
the theory is wrong. I don't know. Either way, I had a really hard time. The first time I went around a corner, I was like, bah! so I don't know. <laughs> um, it also kind of looked like poo. I have to say, uh, Duran Turismo in, in VR did not look great. Um, but I also pl- uh, tr- tried Starblood Arena, which is the new game that they just announced. That is a crazy arena shooter. It's like Descent. Um, I think it was called Descent. Wasn't it called Descent? That old crazy like Z-axis game back in the day. Um, and it's crazy. You know, you can move in all 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 the directions, all directions, because you're in a space pod and you're in these tiny arenas. And that is the game that should be nausea inducing. It should that game should make you puke because it's super fast paced. You're whipping your head around. You're going in all these crazy directions. It's like seven on se- or it's like seven uh, bots against you. So you're constantly being shot at from behind, spinning around. It's kinetic and crazy. And yet somehow they figured out a way that it did not make me nauseated at all. It was proof that you can do these really, really high action, fast paced games in PSVR and make it work. Um, it's not exactly a game that I'm excited for just because I don't need another arena shooter, but it proved that in VR, you can make it happen. And, and it didn't do any of the like, uh, you know, hazy on the, on the edges of your view or any of the stuff that rigs does to make it a little smoother. It doesn't do any of that. It just feels like, uh, the same game you would play on a regular monitor, uh, but Are done these in running VR. on pros or OG yes. PS4s. All of them are running on pros. Have you tried rigs on a, on your pro since you've gotten it? Yeah. It's is awesome. the haziness still there? Oh, you, it's a toggle, so you decide whether it is oh, okay. or not. Got it. Because yeah. I, I had read that they included that to help with like potential issues that the, the original PS4 might have, and that in the Pro, it's like you can have that off, and it seems to run fine. But I don't know. Interesting. Um, and then I want to say one last game that blew me away. It's like shot to the top of my most anticipated games list. I had no idea it even existed. Uh, the guys who made wind runners, which is, uh, or wind runner, which is, um, uh, one of the early PSVR games, uh, is, uh, is it called wind runner? I'm now I'm doubting myself. What is it called? Uh, PSVR. I'm going to search for it. Make sure that I'm right here. Uh, gosh, what is it? What is it called? It's not called wind runner. Shout room. Help me out. Um, anyway, it's one of the, uh, early, this game is called Dino, Dino Frontier. And everybody knows that I love me board games and I love me some, uh, little diorama worlds, especially in VR, where it looks like little claymation figures walking around in front of you. And it's a tiny little diorama world. I love that stuff. This is that. It's a it's a western Wayward sky. Wayward sky. I don't know why I wanted to say Windrunners. Yes, yeah, the same guys that made Wayward Sky, which I think is a really underrated um, underrated game on on PSVR. This is their next title, and you are uh, it's a god game. You, you know, it's a like a RTS type thing where you're manipulating characters, but you're doing it using your hands. You physically pick up a character and place them on the map somewhere or physically pick up resources and deposit them in places. All the structures that you build, all the little houses, the little frontier houses and huts and and, uh, construction places and pubs and uh, saloons, all that stuff, all of them have like a funnel attached to the top. 
And when you pick up a character and drop them in that funnel, they come tumbling out the other side dressed in an outfit that is unique to that building. So you've converted them into a different type of unit by physically picking them up and dropping them into that structure. So let's say you want to, you want to create a, uh, uh, a fighter, you, you know, you have the, the sort of fighter building and you, you reach out, you grab the little man and pick him up by the scruff of his neck. And he's kind of flailing around in the air, like, ah! and you drop him into the funnel. He comes tumbling out the other side, dressed with a weapon and in a cool outfit, ready to hunt. So now he's a hunter. So then you pick up a little flag and you drop it somewhere else on the map which says, hey, go hunt in this area. And all your little hunters start walking across the map over to that area. And they're hunting dinosaurs because it's the Western with dinosaurs. And they have little fights and you can kind of see it. Watch them shoot the dinosaurs. And if they kill the dinosaurs, you pick up the dinosaur with your hand. You're, You're kind of holding them by their tail as they dangle in the air. You can drop the dinosaur into your cool little military building and it becomes a mount for your guys. And now you can pick up a dude, drop him on the back of a dinosaur, and he's riding a dinosaur that's holding a gun into battle. You want to you want to uh you know, have them become gatherers to gather food for your for your people, drop them into the little food building. They come tumbling out the other side as gatherers, then they wander around and gather berries from bushes which you then can pick up and drop into your containers. It's all physical. It's all joyous and amazing. You're like picking up these little creatures and dealing with them and turning them into other kinds of creatures and watching them have fights or collect things right in front of your face in this little diorama world. Dino Frontier, guys. It's everything I've ever wanted. It's pure joy. Pure joy. All right. I've talked a lot. I know everybody else is falling asleep. Christian, Eagle Flight. Have you played Eagle Flight? I only played it at, at an event uh, a while back. I haven't. I don't have the full version. It's interesting. E three on uh, Oculus or PSVR. I believe it was on Oculus, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. That's what. I, yeah, that's what I think is interesting about this game is that it's kind of been out for a while. Um, but then, like PlayStation, I think did a good job. Maybe it's a you know co branding deal of like marketing it as like an exclusive thing i was like i feel like i've seen this game before and i have it's been out on oculus for uh months <laughs> um but it is it is great whether or not i can say you should purchase it i don't know that's difficult it is so relaxing i think i have 40 minutes of it on my twitch and archived on my youtube i forgot to include the game audio because i'm an idiot but you get the point um and it's just like this really cool chill like you're doing things you know flying through circles collecting fish it's you know parts can be challenging especially if you're trying to speed run you know i'll finish something and think i did a good job and then i'll one start and i'll see the leaderboard and they did it in 20 seconds and i'm just like what the heck um but i think like it serves as a really great show friends vr uh thing also like the free roam mode you're just flying around this parisian city that has vines growing all over it and you can fly to the top of the eiffel tower you can zoom through notre dame um and it's like that same unity engine that looks so great in Firewatch and in virginia and like these beautiful pastel colors and it is just very chill it's like annoying that to chill you need to first put on cumbersome vr even though PSVR is probably the least cumbersome. It's like, I want to chill out for a minute. Let me pull out these wires. Let me get these headphones plugged in. (laughs) Let me do this stuff. But 
it, once you get into the experience, it is really, really cool, really beautiful. But don't I, don't um, I scream attack other eagles? Well, you, and they blow up like a Randy Johnson fastball hitting a pigeon at a baseball game. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sound like chill. That sounds like I'm going to scream attack some some birds. Well, you can do that, and I haven't dove into the multiplayer, which might be less chill. But even in the single player, when you are scream attacking birds, they're attacking your friend. Like I became friends with this other hawk, and we, you know, we're clearly going to become BFFs in these hawk friends. Yeah, I mean, hashtag we were, hawk we, friends. Hashtag hawk friends. And these buzzards came in, and I, yeah, I scream attacked the crap out of them. Um, I think it's worth checking out, Jeff. I think uh, I think you'd enjoy it. It's not, you know, compelling in the sense that there's no narrative pulling me forward. It's it's a time attack kind of. Can you do better than what you did last time? Score based game, but some of the levels, you know, like you're, there's one I did where I'm rushing through the catacombs and you're you navigate with you know looking and leaning your head and stuff like that, and it's it's difficult. I never found it to be frustrating in its difficulty. I still found it relaxing, which is probably why my times were like four minutes <laughs> i'm just like this chill eagle um but uh it's it's really really cool and something that i think you know might have been overlooked because i i feel like it's um e3 stage demo last year was atrocious with like the people on stage putting their arms out being like i am an eagle yeah <laughs> but it's a it's a really really cool chill uh vr experience what i'll say is that uh when I played it at E3, I only did the multiplayer mode, which definitely seems to be the focus of the game. And uh, and what I was surprised by, and again, this is going in with very limited VR um, experience, is I never really knew how, if or how, multiplayer-focused VR would work. Um, and I think this game nails it. Huh. Uh, it just it works really, really well. Um it's it's a really cool mode, so definitely well, give that a shot. In, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm interested to try it. Um, are you guys not excited about Star Wars in VR? Because you should be. I'm super excited about it. I mean, I feel like I've played it. This will be the third time I've played it now. But I think I talked about it last week when I talked about the um, the free um the call of duty vr mode i was like it was awesome it's an incredible little mission i'm sure i'll like the star wars one better because i have more affinity for the star wars ip but i think that they've proven that this type of mode can work that's why i asked you how long it was i just hope it's a little more robust than but i have a feeling it won't be because it's free but right. it's, it's a proven entity that works well in e valkyrie and as a free download that anyone can download you don't need call of duty to do it um maybe check that out uh the call of duty vr experience is really cool too all right, let's move on, guys. Let's actually let's wrap things up. We're not going to have time for tabletop time this week as, as uh, much as you guys, I know, love it. But uh, we'll be back next week with tabletop time. It's just so much to cover. In fact, I kind of feel like we gave short shrift to everything this week. It's just so much. But uh, it's a really cool time to be a gamer. There, there are great games to be played and great experiences on the horizon as well. So we had a, lo- a lot of both to talk about. We do have a parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. And we also have Christian's bonus content talking about Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, which is pretty exciting. So don't touch that dial. But Philip Kohler, thank you for being here, my friend. I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Where can people keep up with your work on the internet? Uh, I'm over at polygon.com. Uh, like I said, my Last of Us review is – or Last of Us – Last Guardian review is up now. My Last of Us review is there too if you want to dig. <laughs> um, my Last Guardian review is up now, and I think that's my final review of the year. 
uh finally um and then i'm i'm of course on twitter twitter.com slash p kohler p-k-o-l-l-a-r christian how about you what do you got going on this week Oh, I don't know. I'll be playing The Last Guardian. Uh, <laughs> I think December 16th, I mentioned, I will be at UCB Sunset doing a really cool show there. Tell all your friends. I've been fortunate enough to be part of it. I think every show they've done, and it's kind of a a, a, a ribbing and um, affectionate show for pop punk, emo, and stuff like that. Sketches, stand-up, character pieces. I'm doing a, a pretty cool character bit for it, so I'm excited I'm excited for that. And then uh, other podcasts and things I do, I have the show At Least 20 More Minutes, which also has bonus episodes that are shorter than that, <laughs> which you can find at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. I have a bonus episode all about the Game Awards, one all about the Uncharted, the Lost Legacy trailer, and this week's is going to be all about PSX as a whole and kind of what I think it is and where I think it's going, and um, then a parenting podcast called Department of Parenting that is available at departmentofparenting.com. Calm. Mr. Kanata, what about you? Hey, if you uh, if you get through that Last Guardian, we should do a spoilery thing for that one. As bonus yeah, sounds content. great. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of the shows for you to check out. You can listen to me talk about movies on the Slash Filmcast. Uh, this week we're doing Manchester by the Sea. Uh, listen to that over at SlashFilmcast.com or you can go to SlashFilm.com either. Either way, we'll get you there. Uh, also, I have a uh, science comedy show called We Have Concerns, which you can listen to at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys, let's get to our parting gift. But I do need to thank our final sponsor, Squarespace, which is one of my favorite things. If you have any need for a website or online portfolio, any online presence at all, really, Squarespace is the easiest way to do it. It's the best way to do it because it's going to make your site look great. It's going to make it stable and secure. Uh, it's something I've used for many years now. JeffCanada.com was built and housed on Squarespace, and I've I've had that for man many a year, uh, and I love it. So uh, check out Squarespace.com. The best thing you can do is log on to Squarespace.com/dlc. Go start building your website. You don't even have to put in a credit card. You just start using their tools. Their tools are so easy. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. You just build your site right there on the screen to how you like it. And when you're done, uh, if you're happy with what you got, then you can input your credit card. They're not going to charge you until you're happy with your site. And then we're going to give you 10% off. All you got to do is use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me J E F F S E N T M E at checkout, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your order. This is a really great way to, to build a website. No coding is required. Easy to use tools, tools I've used and continue to use. I really, really like it. Squarespace.com slash DLC. Use that promo code Jeff sent me. Get yourself 10% off. Make a website. Get on the web and uh, house everything that you need to have a really robust site. You can have uh, online shopping. It's all the tools that you could possibly need. Squarespace.com slash DLC. Promo code Jeff sent me. Phil, do you have something to get people through their week that might not be a video game? Sure. Uh, I've, I have a book. Are you cool with a book? I love books. Do you like, do you read? Do you know how to read? I think so. Well, it's time I... to test that out. Uh, 
I've been reading. So I, I do this thing with books where I, I kind of go back and forth between, I'll, I try to read something that's fiction and something that's nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to not like nonfiction that much, but I, I kind of forced myself into this habit. And now I kind of like nonfiction more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm reading this book right now called, uh, Isaac's Storm by Eric Larson. Um, which is this fantastic nonfiction account. Um, it's, it's about this massive hurricane that happened in, uh, Galveston, Texas in 1900. Wow. Um, and it's, it's basically about this, uh, this guy, Isaac, who is a, um, a meteorologist at the turn of the century. And at the turn of the century, uh, weather was still a very confusing thing that people didn't understand. Cause you were bad. But- the sky is raining because you were bad. <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad, <laughs> but it was it was it was along those lines. And but the the thing is, at the turn of this, at at you know at the, at the beginning of the twentieth century, scientists thought they understood weather. They thought they got it, and they thought they knew everything. Um, so there were all sorts of things about like Galveston, this port town in Texas, that um, scientists and people like this meteorologist were like. A major hurricane could never happen here. <laughs> um, and then this massive hurricane comes that just wipes out the town and kills thousands of people. Crazy. Um, it's, it's just a, a really intense, um, well-written historical account. And it, it, it does this great idea of showing you the limits of scientific knowledge and of like the, the fault or the, the problems with believing that you know everything, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's very great. Uh, strongly, strongly recommended. Eric Larson has written a lot of other great nonfiction historical books as well. Um, just a very good author in general. Well, what's great about him is that I feel like for someone who doesn't like nonfiction and for, I read this book, it's old, right? Like 10, 15 yeah, years Yeah. It's, old? it's, it's, it's one of his older ones. I've read a few of his other things and then I, I purchased this because I had read his other things and liked them. I'm from Houston, so like this 1900 Galveston hurricane is something that most Houston kids know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And uh, I feel like what's great about Eric Larson, who is not the comic book Savage Dragon Spider-Man uh, Eric Larson. Sadly not. Sadly. <laughs> different Larson. Is This book in particular is very nonfiction-esque. It's a great gateway drug for a non fiction book like it, it feels yes. very fiction <laughs> and you're like oh this is all real cool yeah he puts it he he the way that he writes stuff it's very well researched like heavily researched and and very um you know like he's not making stuff up but he lays it out in such a way that it reads very much like a fiction novel where like a chapter ends on a cliffhanger and you're like well shit i can't go to bed now i gotta see what happens <laughs> Yeah. Oh, thousands of people still die. Son of a gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Philip, you are a uh, an inspiration, sir. I don't know. By all accounts, you have a a delightful son who's being raised well, he's and yet fine. he's fine, I guess. And how do you find the time to to do all these things? It's it's impressive. Oh, the the trick that I have is that I don't sleep, uh, and it's not it's not very healthy. I don't recommend it. Uh, but that's my trick. Sleep. My I just my downfall. I just stay up all night reading and uh, playing video games. So, Christian, do you have a uh, a parting gift for the people? Mine will lead into yours, I think. Um, I'm a big fan of holiday traditions, even if they're dumb little ones. Um, the one we're doing right now that I don't know if the girls realize is one is we do holiday cookies every year. And I think we don't do it like on the same day per se, but 
we all we've so far since their existence we've done them and i think now is the perfect time to start thinking about a dumb little holiday tradition you might want to do whether it's make a decoration build a menorah i don't know i don't know what it needs to be for you um volunteer at the spca uh you know whatever whatever you want to do i think it's a great time to start thinking about one and doing one i like traditions i think sometimes they're silly but i think the community and um the stuff that can come around one is also often the part that is the most uh, valuable about it. And so one that I would recommend doing is um, a time capsule and it's take little knickknacks, little dumb things and put them away and literally put them away somewhere and don't let yourself get it again for five years. And it is such a dumb treat <laughs> to open five years from now. So that's my recommendation as a holiday tradition. Very cool. Uh, yeah, it does kind of lead into mine. I'm about to blow your guys' mind. If, if, I don't think I've ever mentioned this before, but this is one of my favorite things. And it kind of feels like uh, the holiday season is a good time to do it. Also, I did it this week and it made me think of it. So everybody loves chocolate chip cookies, but I wonder if you've ever had chocolate chip cookies the best way to have them, which is thusly. In VR? In VR. <laughs> go, go to the store and uh, you don't even have to make your own from scratch cookies. Just go to the store. You buy the ready-made cookie dough. Uh, I like the 12-cookie version. The 20, they'll come in the 24-pack. Uh, those are too small. They'll, they'll end up being too small. It's the same size pack, but these are only 12 cookies total, the pre-cut ones. Uh, so the, that's the size you want. You want the big size. Yeah, You preheat that oven to 350, just like it says in the box. It's going to say 10 to 12 minutes. You want to put those cookies in for nine minutes, lower than the minimum. You just let you just come, bring them out a little gooey, a little undercooked. That's fine. You're not going to eat them right now. You're going to show patience. You're going to bring those cookies out. You're going to let those cookies cool a little bit. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get a little piece of Tupperware. You're going to put those cookies, those gooey, uh, undercooked cookies. You're going to put those in a Tupperware, and you're going to put that Tupperware in your freezer. You're going to freeze those chocolate chip cookies overnight. I know it's going to be hard. You cook those Jeff, cookies. You're a madman. You, what do you? you I, it's going to be hard. You, you cook those cookies. You want to eat those cookies? No. You freeze those cookies. You wait. You you postpone that gratification. You delay it. You wait until the next morning or the next day. You pull those cookies out the freezer. They're frozen, but they're soft. They were undercooked, but they froze. So they're soft and frozen at the same time. So not crunchy. You bite into them. They're soft, but they're frozen. It's the best way to have chocolate chip cookies. It may sound crazy. Then you rebake those cookies and you take those rebaked frozen no. cookies and you put them in the toaster to make them correct crispiness. Then you take no. them out of the toaster and put them in the freezer. You do not eat those cookies. No, do not mock do not mock my plan. I've converted my wife to this plan. She was she she mocked me. She uh much like you did, Christian, she mocked and she 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 scoffed. But now She's a believer. She's the only way she wants cookies is the Jeff Wait soft frozen way. The person, the person that you're married to and have a child with mm -hmm. somehow just decided to agree with you because this wasn't a fight worth having anymore and said that, yes, these cookies are good so that you would leave her alone for 10 minutes. Or, Get out of here. Or converted <laughs> to my side and saw the glory that is soft frozen cookies. She was like, Jack needs his diaper change. If I eat this thing and say it's good, you'll do it. Um, delicious. Mm. <laughs> Guys, try it and thank me later. I will accept your thanks at uh, at Jeff Canada or uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, I'll do it as a holiday tradition. <laughs> yeah, Brother Gaming says, then you take those cookies and you put them in a time capsule. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I like it. <laughs> 
All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. We do have bonus content coming at you right now, so don't uh, don't shut it off. But thanks to Phil Culler and Christian Spicer for being here, uh, hanging out with me. This was quite a week. Uh, thanks to all the folks in the chat room hanging out with us, making the show better in real time. Thanks to all of you who downloaded the show. We really appreciate that. Um, just a few more episodes left in this calendar year. We got much more coming to you in 2017. Excited to have you stick around. And thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, Zero Star, for making the bumpers that that uh, make this show so fun. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's bonus content of DLC. I am joined um, by Infinity Ward's own Eric Monticelli. Eric, uh, one, thank you for taking the time for doing to do this. Two, um, describe your job just briefly to the people that are listening, so they know who you are, what you do, and uh, why we're why we're chatting. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Christian. Um, my job at Infinity Ward, I'm the director of communications here, and um, it's just a, a weird, fancy title for saying that I deal with a lot of the information we want to give out to the public um, via all different sorts of disciplines. If it's PR, marketing, licensing, um, you know, whatever sort of promotional stuff we're doing for our game and our studio and our product um, gets filtered through me and my team and we, uh, you know, get the word out and interact with our fans and, and that sort of thing. So that's sort of like a, a nutshell version of what I do, but um, you know, it's a lot of email. That's that's every job, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And you've been in the biz for a while. We were chatting before we started recording. I think you said ten years or so. This isn't. uh, You're not a a baby stepping onto uh, stepping out to Infinity Ward and deciding to tackle Call of Duty. Yeah, no, I I earned my I earned my stripes. I I sort of. Started off, um, I was very fortunate to get a job. Um, basically, I, I thought I wanted to go to school to be a doctor, and then I um, dropped out of that. And then I uh, ended up meeting a guy at 2K Games named Tom Bass, who who really took a, a liking to me and sort of mentored me and got me into the industry. And super fortunate, one of the first games I worked on was Bioshock, so it was just really rad to sort of like step into something so cool so quickly. Yeah, that game did okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was bizarre. I mean, like we we uh, you know, like my first gig was that sort of thing. So it was it was great. Yeah, uh, cool. I have a couple of questions, and we're sticking mostly to Call of Duty Infinite Warfare because you know we could talk Bioshock some other time. That <laughs> uh, we'll save that for a GDC or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, the first thing I wanted to kind of cover or ask is. Uh, Infinite Warfare really, really moved to or stuck to telling the single-player story through the eyes of a single character, whereas it's not the first Call of Duty game to do it, and not even the first Infinity War to you know use one character primarily. But in terms of looking at the history of Call of Duty, it certainly seems like it's a a change in the direction of where Call of Duty games were in the past. And I, I'm I'm curious, um, you know kind of how the move was made if it was storytelling or if the player you know you thought uh, gamers would be more engaged by sticking with one person or if this was the story you guys were dying to tell 
Yeah, I mean, it really boiled down to sort of the last thing you mentioned, and it was sort of the story we were dying to tell. Um, we spent a lot of time talking to different military advisors and consultants and, and people that, um, you know, sort of know where we're headed next with warfare. And everybody that we talked to would look at the sky, they would point up, and they'd be like, we're fighting up there. And we thought, okay, oh, you mean space. And so, yeah, a lot of people think that there's going to be wars up there. So we're like, okay, so how do we tell a good story that feels grounded in space? So we uh, ended up doing a lot of research, spent a lot of time watching film, reading books, television, different things. And, um, you know, our narrative director and our design director really worked closely on this. And they kept gravitating towards um, a couple, three things, really. Black Hawk Down and then Saving Private Ryan and then Band of Brothers um, kept coming up over and over again. And then this documentary called Restrepo, too, was another big influence for um, what the story we wanted to tell. And it, it felt like, um, you know, to tell something that in the setting we were going to which is the future of warfare with, um, you know, in doing it in a grounded way, we wanted to tell the story of the player becoming the captain, being this one sort of connective tissue for all the thousand of, thousands of troops they're leading and, um, you know, see where that would go. And that, that's sort of where it all, all, all came from. And the idea is that if you watch those, those films I mentioned with, um, Black Hawk Down, you're sort of a grunt, and you have this idea that no soldier left behind, you got to bring everybody back to base with you. And then if you watch Saving Private Ryan, um, you know, you are sort of the captain, Captain Miller there in that, that story, um, realizes that sometimes war, you can't save everybody. Sometimes, you know, there's, there's death that's the sort of consequence of your actions and, and the situations you're in. And so we wanted to really look at what that means to go from a grunt to a leader and how that weight of leadership and everything affects every, everything else that you go through with war. So that was what we wanted to tell. And I, I think, you know, we, we nailed it. We did a pretty good job with um, that sort of angle of the game. Yeah, it, it's an amazing um, single player campaign. And, and certainly, you know, there's turnover in any company and Infinity Ward today isn't the Infinity Ward from when the company started. But I think it's so fascinating to look at, you know, kind of the big splash the company made with modern warfare, where you're jumping from protagonist to protagonist and the effect you can have with that. And then seeing that storytelling or maybe the feeling of, okay, we did that. We did that as well as you can do it. Now let's knock it out of the park. We're sticking with one person. We're going to get our players attached to the team and then we're going to punish them for being <laughs> for being attached to these other characters. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's that's a very valid point. Um, you know, like I, I I never really thought of the that that sort of the punishment angle of it, but it, it really is um, one of those things where we wanted to make sure that people felt grounded and felt connected and felt some sort of almost intimacy with these characters that you know they're part of your team and and there's a there's tension and there's conflict and you know there's there's um, a lot of different just love and hate and that sort of thing going on amongst the team even. And um, when you you get down to the brass tacks of it, what we really gravitated towards was um, having these – a few, few words kept coming up um, that sort of drove sort of the aesthetic but also the sort of tone we wanted to go for of the story and of the game, which was blood, rust, and diesel. Hmm. Um, so those three words kept coming up a lot, and then iron came up quite a bit. Um, you know, there was some t 
talk around, you know, like World War II stuff inspired us a lot for this um, sort of thing. You know, these huge flying warships and these sort of picture spaces, the sea instead of being space. So it's been referred to that before and this less sort of like black sea that these warships are sailing around in. So like that sort of um, imagination sparked up in this. But blood, rust and diesel, you know, that human element that sort of rust where you have this sort of gritty, grounded, grimy, sort of like worn out look. And then diesel, which is that diesel, you know, like that smell you, that feeling you get when you smell diesel fumes or it's just like really, really, you know, um, intense and sort of industrial, but also very, very human, something humans created. Yeah, it's lived in and real. I, I usually refer to that as kind of the alien effect of sci-fi where we, like fancy, far-flung, crazy sci-fi is still fun, but watching something like Alien and how well Alien and Aliens hold up today is because it's a very human future where it's not the flat screen plasma screens we have today, but at the same time you see that while they got their guesses wrong in terms of technology, it's very much a human world to so are able to become fully invested in these characters and then also get punished for that. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's that's absolutely true. I mean, our, our team, um, a few different members of our team spent time aboard aircraft carriers and saw what it was like. And we took a lot of those learnings into, um, you know, the design of everything in the game. And uh, there's a saying that we've mentioned a few times, and, and I think it's pretty fascinating, the military uses that if one is none, if, <laughs> I'm sorry, if two is one, one is none which essentially means that you need redundancies for everything. Um, so you'll go on these aircraft carriers and you'll see like a really futuristic ice pad screen next to a phone, next to a megaphone, <laughs> next to a brass bell. And they all, do, they all do the same thing. But, um, you know, when you ring those out, um, you know, like if one breaks down, you can always have the next one. So you can always be in contact with your, your, all the soldiers on board that ship. So we took that sort of philosophy heavily into what we made. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so the next kind of subject area I want to get into is, uh, big name actors in Call of Duty. I mean, it, it's become such a part of the franchise that now you even see big name actors just in Call of Duty commercials or, you know, playing characters in the zombie mode or other modes, but having big name AAA actor featured with their likeness and voice in Call of Duty games is such an interesting take. Other games certainly do it, but I feel like Call of Duty has kind of put the flag down and like, yeah, this is Kevin Spacey. Like, we're going to make him look like Kevin Spacey. He's going to sound like Kevin Spacey. He's an actor. He's playing a role, but we're hiring Kevin Spacey and that was sledgehammers in advanced warfare where he was so much the focus of that game. And then I feel like you guys for infinite warfare, you know, you bring in Kit Harrington, who is a super hot commodity. He's game of Thrones. He's on the cover of every hottest dude in Hollywood, uh, kind of magazine. And I feel like he was maybe not the focus. I mean, he's certainly in the game, but he's not Kevin Spacey. He's not manipulating everything that's happening that you're reacting to. He's kind of a a minor character in this bigger space opera. And I was wondering, is that an intentional kind of misdirect, or is that just the best use of the character, or kind of how that decision happened? Yeah, I mean, um, we wanted to uh, really focus and tell Reyes's story. Um, you know, the story of Nick Reyes, Captain Nick Reyes, as he sort of transitions from lieutenant to captain and then what he goes through. So it's not so much of a um, 
misdirect and to to uh, say the the reality of what happened is that there are some stuff that you know with as with every game we left on the cutting room floor that we just Get out of here play. never never <laughs> never we never finished certain things so <laughs> always putting narrative first we wanted to make sure that you know the story that um, Nick Reyes was going through in his relationship with Salter with Ethan with Omar and all the different characters in the game was really really robust and well done and so we we wanted to foreground that a lot wanted to make sure our story was we wanted to tell a classic war story that you know very clear good and evil very clear cut on who's bad who's good um the reasons and rationale for why they're bad and good and then sort of the mission you know like it starts off with this group attacking earth so it's it's pretty clear cut you know like right, <laughs> right. And they're trying to kill everybody on earth so, <laughs> um you know and that's who you got to go after and so you know, getting there and getting into that that space, and, and then exploring obviously the sort of infinite and limit, limitless area that space is um, created all these different possibilities. Yeah, very cool. Um, so I, I've already stumbled through it. I think I've said them all correctly, but the the naming conventions of these games. If there's ever a question that I'll give you a little grief on while we're talking, this is this is the only one. Uh, Infinite Warfare, like where does that name come from and what does it imply for the series future that you're allowed to answer? And I mean, how is it linked to Advanced Warfare, which wasn't Infinity Ward, Ghosts, which was, which doesn't seem related, but Modern Warfare, which also was, which seems related, but is it just, I mean, is this just uh, uh, trial by committee, like word soup, like war, infinite, space, duty, uh, ship it? There's a lot of debate and we did some focus testing on what names would work and different things like that. And then the the whole idea is that really tying into the idea of calling it like space warfare probably would have been way too on the nose and just a little, <laughs> little heavy handed. So <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, so we uh, started to think of, you know, ID8 on like what are some other good ideas for space and um you know, as I said, you know, like the space is this limitless, almost infinite, as far as we know, as far as humans know, um, battlefield, um, potential future battlefield. So sort of infinite warfare sprung out of that. Um, and here's, there's that. And I, 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 I'm going to say what the other name was. I'll probably get some for it, but we were originally going to call it uh, Call of Duty Black Sky, which ended up being the name of one of the levels. Yeah, I kind of I kind of like that. It pays. Uh, it's still a, very much a Call of Duty name. It's not like uh, you know Call of Duty ubiquitous underground expansion or something. That's just like what? Um, okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah, and then the the thing with it was that um, you know it was a little a little close to Black Ops, and then also it, it, we pulled that from a, a quote by a X Prize guy. Um, so this, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he, he sort of waxed poetic about getting to space and he called it that infinite black sky. And then we're like, wait a second, infinite's pretty good too. (laughs) (laughs) This sort of, and it's been tough, honestly, it's been tough for me, you know, at infinity ward, putting out infinite warfare. Mm -hmm. That's been a little challenging at times, especially in emails that I got to type. But otherwise, it's, it's been a you know I think the name fits and it's it's a good name for um, the game. 
Yeah, it, it certainly works, and it's easy for me to sit here. I think it's far easier to make fun of names of games than it is when you're actually tasked with trying to come up with a name that is somewhat unique, hasn't already been used, fits and looks good on the spine of a box or on a whatever it is, 1400 by 1400 square on the PlayStation Store or the Xbox Live Marketplace and conveys what the game is because it just seems like every game is a name it almost feels like video games have gotten to what i call uh, every billboard in san francisco where it's just like a compound word that doesn't really exist followed by a sentence explaining what that word means where it's like ticket hub a place where you can come to get tickets it's like what is what is this what is this thing yeah uh, and i think a lot of that just you know like naming some and working on some games that have had some pretty weird names um, you know, a lot of that comes down to a lot of stuff is trademarked already and copyrighted. And so when you come up with names, some of them are like great and they totally fit for a game. And then you do a trademark or a search on it and you're like, crap, that's already out there as a comic book or it's out there as a movie. It's out there as, as something else. So making the games hard enough and naming the, naming it's pretty hard. <laughs> so my, my philosophy on it is that if a game's great, it doesn't, you could call it whatever you could put a emoji on the box. And if you make a great game and that's all that really matters and that's what people are going to remember and talk about, because they're going to make up their own names for it. Anyways, everybody does. Everybody so calls games something. What I'm hearing is in two to three years, we can expect call of duty emoji, yeah, uh, maybe winky right. face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, it's like naming a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Ooh. yeah, so. yeah the first one's easy after that. It's like, who cares? <laughs> Claire, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I love you. Um, (laughs) So Infinity Ward Ghost was kind of the big splash with these new consoles when they came out. And then now Infinite Warfare is, you know, we're in the we're in the almost a console refresh as we have the PS4 Pro out and Scorpio has been announced um, coming sometime (laughs) next year. And so I'm curious what the kind of the development was like for a first first round a new gen game versus having time to breathe and know what the gen is was one easier or harder do they each have their own unique challenges if you could pick and choose would it always be this middle cycle or is coming out fresh and shiny and new with the new console fun and exciting yeah i mean i I wasn't here i was actually um at naughty dog when ghost was being made so i i don't really know exactly everything they went through i've talked to people that worked about on it and i know that it's really hard especially going from more processing power, different sort of components inside your console, so you can do more cool things, you know what I mean, and, and render things differently and things like that. So the transition from PS3 to PS4 and Xbox 360 to Xbox One was probably a lot more um, disruptive than this current refresh where it's a little bit, you know, like a lot of the stuff we're already building at the resolutions the Pro and Scorpio run at, so it's just optimizing and Hmm. figuring out where, you know, in the past you were building things at smaller resolutions and then all of a sudden you had more real estate and things to play with. So, I mean, that's just on the graphics side. There's a ton of other things that... I'm probably not qualified to talk about (laughs) um, that happened too. Um, But, you know, I think it's pretty odd and pretty funny that we've sort of hit hit this twice and maybe who knows what their next game will hit it again. But, um, you know, it is, it is interesting. I think that it was probably from everything I hear, the transitions with ghost was learned a lot, learned a ton, but it was very challenging to sort of move from uh, those consoles to the next gen. 
Yeah, because I feel like there's something exciting about, oh, this next generation is going to give us all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, of course, the console manufacturers let publishers and developers know some of their plans and dev kits get sent out a little early and, you know, you get access to these things. But also making a game takes longer than a year, (laughs) Uh, oftentimes, you know, longer than six months, certainly when the dev kit comes out. And it's like planning for an unknown based on what you think it's going to be or even what information they have told you it's going to be. But then just kidding. Uh, it's this now, by the way, we put a lot of advertising behind your game. We want it to launch alongside our console. I just feel like there has to be a lot of uh, head to desk when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I mean, also, there's a lot of like, yay, we get more support because they have all this marketing budget for this new console. Oh, sure. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's sort of like a, a bit of both. Um, so it's it, the development side can be challenging promotionally. Honestly, I think that sometimes it's great because then you end up riding like a hardware wave or um, sort of the push from there. So it's it's a double edged sword for sure. But um, it's it's a fun time and you know the relationships we've had and i've worked with playstation now for almost six years and they've been phenomenal so it's it's really good to work with these partners and have these sort of things uh we can do i just uh trademarked call of duty double-edged sword by the way it sounded good when you said it so i didn't <laughs> great that's our next <laughs> I don't want to let that one go by. Um, I could, I could, we could do this forever, uh, but you have like real work you need to do. So the last thing uh, before I let you get back to emails, um, that <laughs> uh, this is maybe the thing that you're the most, uh, you're, you're the expert on answering. I'm hoping when you're trying to message or advertise or show a new call of duty, I mean, how do you split the difference between showing off, you know, the the big bombastic single player campaign moments versus how you've changed multiplayer, which Call of Duty has a rabid multiplayer fan base, or other modes, uh, a zombies mode or something like that, where you have a, such a huge package of a game and everyone has their favorite parts. Like, how do you how do you message that when the first trailer for this game came out? Everybody was like, "Ugh!" And then I played it at E three and I was like, "This game looks pretty great." Yeah, it's like. This seems yeah. pretty, and then the game comes out and it's getting incredible reviews. It's just like, how do you how do you manage pick and choose what to show and how to show it? Yeah, I think that's sort of you just hit the nail on the head there. When you reveal something like this, you're not you're, you're sort of teasing it, and you're not lift you know like you're you're not pulling away and lifting away the full curtain yet. And so uh, you know it was a learning experience, and we definitely motivated us, and we moved on a lot from it, and. Uh, you know, the game that we were working on and had been working on was what we showed at E3 for the first time, and I think that just really sort of shined through. And then you sort of have... I almost feel like sometimes I'm working with three different studios when I'm here. You know, like I got my MP team, my Zombies team, and my single players team. And we all work together, certainly, but we all... There's there's definitely a distinct feel to the, the sort of games that we make and, and I think that's what's made Call of Duty such a great entertainment proposition and entertainment value for years um, and that uh, people you know gravitate towards it and realize it because you have these different sort of play experiences you can get with just one $60 purchase um, and you can keep going back to it over and over and over again and I think that's 
that's pretty powerful. But as far as like promoting it, yeah, it does get very challenging. And, and you sort of have to set up your windows where like, all right, we're going to talk about this aspect of single player for a while. And then we're going to move on to zombies and sort of get everybody in and make sure we tie it back with some, you know, just clear, clear cut imagery about how it's part of this bigger package. So, um, takes, takes some time, takes some challenging. And, you know, we even had the, uh, the, added challenge this year of sort of packaging modern warfare in with our legacy edition, which was phenomenal because we can sort of tell the history of like our legacy of our studio and, and where we're going with infinite warfare. So it's like a really good package and, and probably, I don't know any, if you buy the legacy edition, I don't know any other better value in the history of gaming, I would argue because that's like essentially you're getting five games for the price of one. So we have to just factor in the external hard drive you need to buy to fit the game. I mean, we definitely put a lot of love into them. I, I, I don't, I don't, uh, no games are big now. I, I, everybody's excited about 4k gaming and I'm just, I'm weeping at thinking that my three terabyte drive is going to be obsolete <laughs> in a year, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. 4k assets. <laughs> um, not to sound like an old man, but I remember when we switched just to 720p, when every that was big, and oh my god, you couldn't fit anything on it. Like thumb drives all became obsolete overnight, and like you're trying to transfer any sort of video or data files, you're like, crap, it's going to take me all night just to transfer this. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that definitely happened, and I feel like, yeah, you're right, it, it sort of happens every sort of console generation. Yeah, we're getting slammed with data. Um, if people wanted to send you love or hate mail or just look at find you on the internet, is there a place that you want to give out where people can follow you and uh, you know ask questions or ping or see what's going on with you personally or Infinity Ward or uh, Infinite Warfare, uh, where people can get more info as things come out? Yeah, so I mean, if you want to talk to me personally, my my Twitter is uh, er Monicelli, my last name, which is M O N A C E L L I. Um, I generally just talk about dogs, baseball, and space on there. So, unless you're into those three things, probably don't want to follow me. <laughs> well, two of those have been covered by Infinity Ward and Call of Duty already. So you're <laughs> telling me Call of next one is baseball? I get it. I get it. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, the, I, I don't think we'll be doing this <laughs> unfortunately for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the game and, and that sort of thing, you definitely want to follow just the infinity ward Twitter, um, which is at infinity ward, um, our Instagram, uh, and our, our Facebook page. And then, um, we're doing a lot of live streaming on Twitch now, so get ready to see our faces and different devs faces a lot more. So, our Twitch page is, is uh, another one to follow. And then the Call of Duty channels, um, you know, callofduty.com and Call of Duty Twitter and Call of Duty Facebook. There's, you know, data is everywhere and you can get information <laughs> about that data in a lot of different places. So check awesome. those out. Well, bonus unrelated to video game question. Uh, where does baseball go from here? Everybody's one that hasn't won. I mean, I guess like now it's Cleveland or the Astros, but like what's baseball in 2017? Who do we care about? The Mets, always. <laughs> I mean, for me, personally, I'm a huge. I'm, I'm native from New York State, and so I've always had an affinity since the Daryl Strawberry days for the Mets. And I, I feel like they're going to be a good franchise, good team. I honestly wouldn't mind if the Cubs do a dynasty again, because you know, like that would be a good story. If I mean, the Cubs have never had a dynasty, so there's their own thing. But yeah, maybe Cleveland. But you know, at the end of the day, I just want my Mets to win all the time. So. <laughs> uh, beautiful stadium, beautiful new ballpark. So oh, you know, yeah. I'd be happy to go there to watch the series for sure. 
Yeah, definitely, man. Well, thank you so much. And also thank you to Infinity Ward. We kind of started talking. Um, we're putting together a charity gift basket for a family at need here in Los Angeles. And you guys have, have been incredible. And so thank you so much for doing that. Um, we'll have updates on that here mid-December when we give those out. And um, seriously, my heart is full of, with love. Uh, absolutely blown away. And thank you very, very, very much. Thank you, Christian. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. Whenever you hit me up, whenever you need help with that sort of stuff, we love to support, as, as, especially during the holiday season and all year long, really, um, as much as possible. We know that games are a good way for a lot of people to you know escape into what they need to do and, and that sort of thing. So happy to support that. And, and thanks for the compliments on our game. Um, you know, we, we think we made a great product and, and people are getting their hands on it and starting to love it. So it's, it's great to hear that. So thanks for your time. Yeah. Thank you. Everybody go buy infinite warfare. You know me, you know, I don't say this about every call of duty. It's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Eric, thank you so much. Enjoy your week and I'll talk to you again soon.